I'm not a psychiatrist, but... I'm glad we've got that on the record. You're not a psychiatrist, but what? A psychiatrist would say that he was paranoid. They'll hire private detectives who will follow you day and night. You're a target for high-priced escorts. I can't prove it, but I know they tap my phones. Whatever it is that's gonna trip you up, you've done already. Private behavior is a relic of a time gone by, and if somehow, someway, you've managed to live your life like the Dalai Lama, they'll make shit up, because they don't want you. They want your idea, and they want you to say thank you while you, excuse me, wipe your chin and walk away. That's what happened to you? And delusional. Yes, but there'll be payback in case I brought down the record companies with Napster and case will suffer for their sins oh, too. You, sorry, you, you, didn't, you didn't bring down the record companies. They won. In court? Yeah. You want to buy a Tower Records, Eduardo? And he told story after story about life in Silicon Valley and parties at Stanford and down in LA and friends who become millionaires, but mostly how Mark had to, he had to come to California. And then he cut around to the Facebook. So, tell me about your progress. Well, we're in 29 schools now. We got over 75,000 men. Tell me about the strategy you're using. Okay. Well, for instance, we wanted Baylor in Texas, but Baylor already had a social network on campus, so instead of going right after them, we made a list of every school within 100 miles. We put the Facebook on those campuses first. Pretty small Baylor kids were seeing their friends on our site. We were in. It's called the Little Bitcoin. That's smart, Marco. Oh, thanks. That was mine. Easy. Hey, you know what? Settle an argument for us. I say it's time to start making money from the Facebook, but Mark doesn't want to advertise you. Who's right? Well, neither of you yet. The Facebook is cool. That's what it's got going for it. Yeah. You don't want to ruin it with ads because ads aren't cool. Exactly. It's like you're throwing the greatest party on campus and someone's saying it's got to be over by 11. That's exactly right. You don't even know what the thing is yet. That's exactly How right. big it can get, how far it can go. This is no time to take your chips down. A million dollars isn't cool. You know what's cool? You. A billion dollars. That shut everybody up. And that's where you're headed. A billion dollar valuation. Unless you take bad advice, in which case you may as well have come up with a chain of very successful yogurt shops. When you go fishing, you can catch a lot of fish, or you can catch a big fish. You ever walk into a guy's den and see a picture of him standing next to 14 trout? No, he's holding a 3,000 pound marlin. Yep, that's a good analogy. Okay, but we all know that marlins don't really weigh 3,000 pounds, right? Have you seen the big ones up close? No, I haven't, but I don't think the guy's holding a marlin the size of a Range Rover. That would be a really big fish and a very strong guy. You think we might be getting away from the point? I don't have a dog in this fight. I'm just a fan who came to say hi. He owned Mark after that dinner. He picked up the check, he told Mark they'd talk again soon, and he was gone. But not before he made his biggest contribution to the company. Drop the the. Just Facebook. It's cleaner. you make the point of saying someone's not a genius. You think I'm especially not a genius? Suck like that one, you cheap dime store.
Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 319, The Social Network Revisited. I would say pretty close to our own college experiences. Yeah, except we came up with this podcast. Yeah. I would say like this podcast, which we did not come up with in college. We didn't know each other till way later. But <laughs> this podcast is very similar to Facebook in a lot of ways. We've yeah. built it from the ground up. And <laughs> we're still waiting for that number when we're going to have the big party. Yeah, someday we'll have uh, that big party. I don't know what that number is, but we're not there yet. <laughs> when we get a million downloads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be 75 Folks. years old. Anyway, for those of you new to the program, this is something that I occasionally stress when we do these revisits. This is a brand new episode. We're not re-releasing something we recorded years ago. God, which- no. I don't think people would assume that, but I know that there are some podcasts, which are popular podcasts, which sometimes release classic episodes yeah. if their hosts are on a break or something. We don't, we're not doing that. nice to get to that point where you're just like, all right, this week we're just going to post an old one. Yeah. We're taking the week off. We're That's just not what this is. No. The new remixed theme music should have been your first clue, but basically we're just doing a, yeah. a subject we did early on. You'd have to be like a lot more proud of your work if you're willing to release old stuff in a way that I don't think we quite are. Yeah, I think our early episodes are terrible, and yeah. that's why we're redoing them. And that's like... all this is. We're <laughs> just redoing an episode with the new theme music, whatever. We'll take the week off and just post Fear, classic episode. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we already talked about The Social Network for episode number 62, which mm. aired August 7th. 2017 and was one hour and four minutes long i'm sure this will be significantly longer (laughs) i do notes uh, to get to i do love this movie and i can remember seeing the trailer for it in the theater remember that that orchestral or that like choral version of creep by radiohead was like the song right and they were just showing internet pictures and then the last one is jesse eisenberg and then you're like starting to see oh this is a facebook thing and i'm like Oh, my God. Like, that was the reaction I had when I saw the trailer for it in the theater. Yeah, I was not thinking I was going to like this movie when there was a trailer for it. And then I absolutely loved it. I don't remember how early into the trailer it was revealed that it was David Fincher. Was it at the beginning? I don't remember. I I, I don't think so. Anyway, this was the first episode back from an extended four-month hiatus back in 2017. Nobody was listening to the show back then, let's be honest. But it was definitely a necessary and crucial time period. And we've had a couple of hiatuses from the show. The second one was mostly due to COVID, which in retrospect, we probably really didn't need to do. But everyone was unsure of what was going on. Right. But yeah, it's interesting because I don't know that we've done a ton of revisited this deep into it 62 it's not because a lot of them like varsity blues like the first that was 15. like the first episode yeah. yeah but yeah we've sort of opened it up we kind of realized that the first 100 or so could potentially need to be redone we're not going to redo them all of course we're only going to do some of them the social network is a movie that is perfect for a revisited i realized oh yeah even though i initially wasn't thrilled with your picks <laughs> Just because I pick it. I think that's already... No, the second one is never going to be redeemed. Okay. <laughs> because it went against a personal conversation yeah, that I know. we had, and then you claimed you could not remember, even though it was you who initiated I, I, it. And I did remember afterwards. And you I was were like, like yeah, we got to not do this movie ever yeah. again. We're done with this movie. 
everything about this movie, we're done. And then like six months later, Matt, yeah. what do you want to do for revisit? <laughs> anyway, we're not revealing what that is yet. No. But the social network, if I was looking at our first 100 episodes, I don't know that I would have thought this is one I definitely want to redo. Not mm. Nothing against the movie. It's just a like a, a feeling I get when I look at the episode sure. and I think about what we did. Yeah. And I couldn't really remember it, good or bad. I'm sure it was bad. But <laughs> re-watching it now, I realize that it is a perfect revisited because I feel differently about the movie now than yeah. I did in 2017. Well, it's a weird timestamp movie because the events of the movie are like the early 2000s. Then the movie comes out in 2009, 10. 2010, yeah. And... Now it's 13 years removed from that. Right. And it's almost like the world's impression of Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook evolves yeah. every year. It changes. And so this will be a narrative we get to, but I think that the depiction of Mark Zuckerberg in this movie, created by Aaron Sorkin, which is a fictionalized version of a real person and probably not accurate at all, at the time was yeah. considered this big to-do. Everyone was upset about the accuracy of the film, the depiction of Zuckerberg making him look angry, misogynistic, Just an et cetera, asshole, et cetera. Like kind of a standoffish dick. That depiction now, 13 years later, with all of this new information and how the world has changed their opinion on Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg, in, at least in terms of like a overall vibe you get out there in the media, I would say that Sorkin's depiction now seems almost... Not flattering, but positive, as if it's giving him more character and depth. And yeah. here's a key word: relatability, which I don't know that he, the real Mark Zuckerberg really has any relatability. Right. And so I see this movie differently now because I come to it more from the idea of trying to understand yeah. Sorkin's choices in terms of telling us a story and making it interesting, and how he is taking the material. And forming that around a story and a narrative. And people get really hung up on whether or not the story and the narrative is true. But I think we've covered this enough already to say that we care more about the art and the end Definitely. product. And, and yeah. not, we're not that worried about this. I don't think truth. that's what this movie is. It's not a documentary. No. It's taking a story that probably wasn't that interesting and making it right. like a movie. Making yeah. there be motivations and betrayals and anger and explosions of emotion and there's a girl at the center of it who seems to almost be the helen of troy of facebook yeah. but that's not all not real right, right. but if you told the story without that stuff it would be kind of boring to most people i guess I the other know. thing i was thinking about it watching it now in the perspective of the time when this came out it is weird because the mark zuckerberg and sean parker like the fictionalized versions of them definitely aren't held up to be the heroes of the movie by any means but this was in the heart of nerds being the heroes of movies it's michael Sarah's era it's jesse eisenberg's era it's scott pilgrim versus the world chris hardwick's nerdist thing was like the most popular thing right. on the internet this is of that era yeah and yet this movie was definitely accused of being anti-nerd yeah even though it's i do feel like it is this whole thing is these guys they're just socially awkward they well there was a lot of knee-jerk reactions in the press to this film because everyone knew it was going to be like this hot thing. oh yeah you have a hot director one of the best one of the most famous writers oh yeah of scripts at the time still today you have a hot young cast mostly unknown 
but a few familiar faces like Jesse Eisenberg, Rashida Jones. Mm -hmm. This was going to be a big to do. It's weird now because Facebook has been a part of everyone's lives for almost 20 years. Yeah, yeah. But at the time, Facebook was still kind of new to most people, relatively new. It's sort of like how the characters are in the film when they're talking about, we don't know what this is yet. We don't know what this is going to be. So there were a lot of think pieces, a lot of articles written about this film. A lot of people had opinions about the accuracy, the invented information. A lot of people had opinions about the best picture prospects. It made a ton of best of the year list. It was one of the most talked about films in a long time. But I think that the years that have gone by have sort of rendered a lot of those knee-jerk reactions kind of silly and pointless. I think so. The movie endures because it's a good story with a lot of people at the top of their game, one of the best directors, one of the best writers, one of the best scores, one of the best cinematographers, Uh, one of the a great cast with great performances. I remember you saying at the time, this is one of those movies that we'll look back and can't believe all these people are in this movie together. I don't know if it is quite that, but it feels like it should be. Yeah, it didn't quite happen in the way that I was imagining, but most I mean, of the people in the film career. did kind of become household names, yes, more or less, I think in so. terms of people who follow movies and stuff. The other thing I'll always remember from that award show run is that main piece of music playing like every time the social network like nominated for whatever right dun, dun, dun. <laughs> just over and over it was an award season where if you had any innocence left yeah it was gone of course like i was sitting there rooting for it that was my pick to win like everything that year and then because this is back when we watched the oh yeah together I-, I told you i was like yeah the producers and stuff I think Scott Rudin or whoever, they weren't even going to go yeah. to the Oscars because they already knew they weren't going to win, basically, because the tide had shifted to the King's speech so uh-huh. much by that point. Oh, I know. One of the worst. Something people are really talking about now, the I King's know. speech. The Social Network was released in 2010. It was directed by David Fincher with a screenplay by Aaron Sorkin based on The Accidental Billionaires by Ben Mesrick which came out in 2009, and that was right on the heels of Bringing Down the House being made into the film 21, Hmm. which if you would have asked me when 21 came out, I would have said like 2003. Yeah. I I thought it was so (laughs) much earlier. It seemed like a different world. It did seem like a different era. And it was 2008. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, there's your Kevin Spacey connection. Yes, Kevin Spacey is a producer on this film because he had already been involved with Ben Mesrick's material on the film 21. Mm-hmm. A lot of weird stuff with how this all came together. We'll get to that shortly. Let's just put it out there. Yes, Army Hammer's in this movie. Kevin Spacey's a producer on it. There you go. It is what it is. Moving on. We've already addressed that this is not the podcast to bring criminals or creeps to justice. Whatever. If they're guilty of things, then by all means. But that's not that's not this show. So if you're interested in watching The Social Network either for the first time or re-watching it for the purposes of listening to this podcast, you will have to rent it on streaming if you don't own it on Blu-ray or whatever because it is not free right now anywhere. Just happy to bust out my Blu-ray of this. I owned this Blu-ray at a time when I owned very few Blu-rays. At one yeah. point, just one of these little shelves here <laughs> could have held all of my Blu-rays and Social Network was one of them. 
Yeah, I was able to crack open the Columbia Classics 4K set volume 2 and watch this baby on a 4K disc, which was sort of fun. I didn't mm-hmm. really have a reason to open that thing before, so All right. always fun to do that. little uh, physical media roundup early here. A little tease. Yeah. The film had a budget of $40 million. The box office was $224.9 million, making it a big hit. We say it nearly every episode, but if this movie came out today and was released into theaters, it would not make $224.9 million. <laughs> Those days are over. Yeah, it's crazy. This would probably be straight to Netflix, hmm. because that's where Fincher seems to be working Operate. Now. He has a new movie coming out this year. I don't know if it's a Netflix movie or not. I have mm, no idea. It's called The Killer with Michael Fassbender. Okay. I think it comes out this fall. Cool. The Social Network was nominated for eight Academy Awards, bringing home three in total. It won Best Adapted Screenplay for Aaron Sorkin, Best Film Editing for Kirk Baxter and Angus Wall, and Best Original Score for Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Hell yeah. The film was also nominated in the categories of Best Picture, which it lost to The King's Speech, Best Actor, Jesse Eisenberg, which he lost to Colin Firth in The King's Speech, Best Director for David Fincher, who lost to... Tom Hooper for The King's Speech, which, okay, The King's Speech won Best Picture, Colin Firth, great actor, won Best Actor, fine. They should take Tom Hooper's Oscar away because he made yeah. Cats. Right. So We're taking that one back. almost yeah. have to give that retroactively to Fincher. Right. Best Cinematography, Jeff Cronenworth, he lost to Wally Pfister for Inception, and Best Sound Mixing, which also lost to Inception. In addition to The King's Speech, Inception, and The Social Network, it was the year of Black Swan, The Fighter, True Grit, 127 Hours, Winter's Bone, The Kids Are All Right, Blue Valentine, and Toy Story 3. A lot of memorable theater 2010 was a big year. I liked 2010. Yep. You had that trio, dare I say, almost Mount Rushmore of The Social Network, Inception, Black Swan, and The Fighter. I know. And even if you don't like the fighter, at least the other three. I don't know right. which one people like the least of those four, but they were all great at the time. Absolutely. For sure. I was a big Blue Valentine guy, too. Yeah, which we also did on the show. Yep. I'd be interested in maybe revisiting the fighter. I haven't watched it in a few years. Same. I remember Christian Bale's performance was great, and he, he won at this yep. Academy Awards, and as did Melissa Leo, who was also great. That's right. I think she swore during her speech. Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah. You don't get to 500 million friends without making a few enemies. One of the all-time great taglines. Yeah. Completely perfect. Obviously, they liked it because they plastered it all over the friggin' every poster. Or well, It's the hook. P- yeah. How do you make people understand that this movie will be fun to watch? Yeah. Because on the surface, it seems like it wouldn't be. Right. Let's add a lot of drama. To the trailers, to the commercials, to the advertising, and then you have this tagline on top of it. Yeah. It sucks you in because you're like, well, wait a minute, what does that mean? Yeah, I remember the trailers because it's not like there's that much action or even elevated drama in the movie, but I can remember the stuff from the trailer. The one dude, Mark Zuckerberg, he stole our website. And then, <laughs> you know, like when Eduardo's like, Mark, the, that was the trailer. And I'm like, I'm in. screenwriter aaron sorkin said what attracted me to the film project had nothing to do with facebook 
The invention itself is as modern as it gets, but the story is as old as storytelling. The themes of friendship, loyalty, jealousy, class, and power. He said he read an unfinished draft of The Accidental Billionaires when the publisher began, quote, shopping it around for a film adaptation. Sorkin added, I was reading it, and somewhere on page three I said yes. It was the fastest I said yes to anything. They wanted me to start right away. Ben and I were kind of doing our research at the same time, sort of parallel lines. It's a little muddy and confusing. Yeah. Because it seems like they started working on the film before the book was even out. And so they were kind of doing a screenplay without really using the book that much. And then right. some of the research was overlapping. And they were, uh, you hear different stories. It's kind of hard to tell what was true. It does seem like while it gets accused of differing from real life, I'm thinking it differs from the book quite a bit, too. Yeah, I think the book is pretty yeah. factual. Gotcha. I don't think Erica Albright is factoring in. <laughs> According to Sorkin, Mesrick did not send him material from his book as he wrote it. Two or three times we'd get together, I'd go to Boston or we'd meet in New York and kind of compare notes and share information, but I didn't see the book until he was done with it. By the time I saw the book, I was probably 80% done with the screenplay. Hmm. So this is one of the big things that's unavoidable when talking about The Social Network. It's sort of half real, half fictionalized. The Social Network portrays the founding of Facebook, but... It adds a lot to the drama. It yeah. adds characters that weren't real. It sort of makes events seem more dramatic than they probably were. Confrontations yeah. that probably never happened. Well, those it definitely kind of things. feels like it's as if Sorkin is just taking, here's seven, eight, or nine facts, and then I'm going to fill out everything around those. Yeah, like I'm going to construct the narrative in simple storytelling technique to make this all make sense in a yeah. story. Even if... I'm inventing the way we get to these right. things. Neither Mark Zuckerberg nor any other Facebook staff were involved in the project, although Eduardo Saverin did serve as a consultant for Ben Mesrick's book, although and, at some point he stopped talking to him too. And it was hitting me this time around that he definitely comes across as the most victim. Right. Uh, yeah. He's the most sympathetic yeah. in terms of the characters of the film. I guess we should probably just say it early on that we kind of know now not that they're all evil people per se but pretty much all of the principal people involved are not exactly sympathetic great guys i think most of the characters who they're based on in real life are probably douchebags <laughs> to varying degrees sure. all the way up to maybe complete sociopaths depending on what you think that's but, the level of society we're kind of dealing with yeah, I think it's important for the purposes of talking about the social network, though, to think of the people as characters first, and then maybe from time to time we can kind of yeah separate that. But I think of them as fictionalized now. I would say that a testament to Eisenberg's great performance in the film is that for a while I did just think of Mark Zuckerberg as Jesse Eisenberg. Like, I almost <laughs> just thought of them as the same. Okay. Because... In 2010, I don't really think I even knew what Mark Zuckerberg looked like. Dude, when this movie was coming out, I didn't know any of the guys' names that were involved with Facebook. I knew Mark Zuckerberg's name when the movie came out, but I don't think I knew what he looked like. Yeah. And I assumed he looked a lot like Jesse Eisenberg. And there is a vague resemblance, but not really. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think over time, I've begun to separate them again. But yeah, at the time... It was one of those performances where you get very sucked into it, and mm -hmm. you kind of just believe these are the people. 
But as we discussed with Malcolm X, films often end up standing in for history. Sure. And in the case of The Social Network, quality makes up for a plethora of sins, including all of the various inaccuracies. Zuckerberg originally planned never to see this movie, but ended up taking several of his employees to see it. He later remarked that despite some of the film's inaccuracies, they did get his clothing exactly right, down to almost everything that Eisenberg wears in the movie. He really owned, wow. like, specifically. Yeah. Except for maybe one or two of the t-shirts. I think there's a an inside joke where he's wearing an Arm & Hammer t-shirt later in the film, which is... a. Ah. Army Hammer's family is, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then I think one of the other shirts he wears was one of Eisenberg's own shirts. But other than that, it was all like the knits, the sweatshirts. Right. Yep. Everything was exactly the same. And he thought that was really weird. Like, <laughs> out of all of the things to get exactly right, it's the clothes. <laughs> yeah. At the D8 conference hosted by D, All Things Digital, on June 2nd, 2010, host Kara Swisher told Mark Zuckerberg she knew. He was not happy with the film being based on him, to which he replied, quote, I just wished that nobody made a movie of me while I was still alive. Zuckerberg stated to Oprah Winfrey that the drama and partying of the film is mostly fiction, explaining, quote, this is my life, so I know it's not so dramatic, and that he spent most of the past six years focusing, working hard, and coding Facebook. Speaking to an audience at Stanford University, Zuckerberg stated that the film portrayed his motivations for creating Facebook inaccurately. Instead of an effort to get girls, he said he created the site because he enjoys building things. I do think it too often gets minimized to just the girls thing. It's more than just the girls. It's just being someone who's important and recognized and cool. Yeah, it's everything. It's a very simple girls is a part of that forward idea. It's yeah. something that is so simple that it could be an episode of Saved by the Bell. Right. I want to be cool. Yeah, exactly. There's Zach Morris. And for those of us who aren't naturally cool in whatever sense, like not super good looking or super athletic or super muscular or whatever, or super rich or whatever, you try to find the thing that you can stand out in to focus on, whether it's humor. Mm -hmm. You could be a funny guy. You could be in a band. You could play guitar. You write songs. Yeah. Or you could be the smartest guy and build something that everyone has to notice. Right. Whatever it is. It could be a website like Facebook, or it could be a podcast. We're still I, I, we're trying anything. to find our niche. It could be yeah. anything. But you fixate on that one thing because that's going to be your ticket. Whether it's to get girls or to be just not mocked by girls or other guys or mm -hmm. whoever. Whatever it is to stand out, to be respected and known. And yeah, I do think that the script ends up diving into some of that stuff because the whole thing with the final clubs and oh yeah, why is that a part of the movie? Well, it, because that's part of it too. It's not just Erica Albright. Right, it's, he gets passed over and his being friend in the circle is kind of passing him by in terms of coolness, and yeah. he's afraid of being left behind. So then Sorkin creates this idea that that factors into him cutting Saverin out of Facebook, even though it probably didn't right. really have anything to do with that but it's part of the theme of the movie though facebook co-founder dustin moskovitz called the film a dramatization of history it is interesting to see my past rewritten in a way that emphasizes things that didn't matter like the winklevosses who i've st still never even met and had no part in the work we did to create the site over the past six years and leaves out things that really did like the many other people in our lives at the time who supported us in innumerable ways 
According to Moskowitz, a lot of exciting things happened in 2004, but mostly we just worked a lot and stressed about things. The version in the trailer seems a lot more exciting, so I'm just going to choose to remember that we drank ourselves silly and had a lot of sex with co-eds. The plot of the book script unabashedly attacked Mark, but I actually felt like a lot of his positive qualities come out truthfully in the trailer. At the end of the day, they cannot help but portray him as the driven, forward-thinking genius that he is. Hmm. And I don't think that anyone would dispute that he is a forward-driven-thinking genius, but (laughs) that doesn't just cover up everything else. This movie presents his flaws, though, in a way that feel more real and relatable, whereas I think the last 13 years have proven that his flaws actually are more egomaniacal maybe yeah yeah potentially dangerous the character being a dick definitely adds to some of the most hilarious lines (laughs) are him being an asshole definitely yeah so at this point aaron sorkin was already a pretty big deal his career in hollywood kicks off with a play that he wrote a few good men then he does malice and the american president before moving into television where he creates sports night which which was not a huge hit but was very critically well received and then the west wing of course and then studio 60 on the sunset strip while that's happening he starts doing movies again charlie wilson's war the social network moneyball steve jobs molly's game which he also directed Mm -hmm. he's now directing things but i think that out of all of his various overly verbose scripts whether we're talking television or movies speaking in monologues I would almost describe it as aspirational speaking because no one really does it, but it's his style. The crown jewel of all of it is The Social Network. Yeah, yeah. I actually think this is now the best script he's ever written for sure and the best project overall, and that's including The West Wing and A Few Good Men and Moneyball. A lot of this stuff is very well-received, very popular stuff, but I think that the genius of turning the creation of a website... (laughs) into this story and making it compelling. Granted, Fincher does a lot of work too, and then obviously Reznor and Ross with the score help, but it starts with this script. Yeah. So you're telling me that you don't think that most two people interacting are weaving in this much wordplay? No. (laughs) But yeah. If I ever had a conversation, like the one that Rooney Mara and Jesse Eisenberg have at the beginning of this, I would have to marry that girl immediately, right. even if we were breaking up while having the conversation, it's, because I'm like, I've never felt this alive with this <laughs> this much talking. Constantly that thing, though, where one thing gets mentioned and then it gets confused for something else. You spend a couple sentences talking about that thing and then you go circle back to the real thing. Yeah. That's like the structure of it. <laughs> but I was thinking if I was an actor, this seems like it would be difficult but fun to do this type of acting i don't know it's like almost an athletic competition which is how how she describes it too. yeah the script was written in 178 pages the studio told sorkin to cut out at least 30 pages but fincher decided to keep all of them he told sorkin to read the whole thing within two hours and sorkin succeeded that's why the dialogue in the opening scene starts when the studio's logo is shown (laughs) Which actually reminded me oddly of Go. Oh, yeah. Because it's also the Columbia logo. And that one, it's music, but it's like cutting back and forth. Which always stuck out to me because Mm -hmm. most movies don't do stuff like that. Right. And then, yeah, this one, 
it's not fully ready. It's not fully going yeah. into the movie yet, yeah. and then the, you can hear the bar sound, right. and they start talking. I know it's a great opening. It's, music is just this like little guitar riff. Boom, bam, bam, bam. Yeah, <laughs> and then they're talking. Then they're off to the right. races. <laughs> Which brings us to Erica Albright, as portrayed by Rooney Mara. The key to understanding not the real Mark Zuckerberg or Facebook or anything. Really, except for the social network as a film, as Mm -hmm. a creation, a story, a work of art. She is fictional and doesn't even really seem to be based on anyone. There's no one that she's based on. She's not real at all. But she turns into the Helen of Troy of social media, the breakup that launched a trillion status updates, (laughs) as I put it. Sure. So much talk about the accuracy of the film and portraying Mark Zuckerberg negatively. You have to remember that in 2010, Mark Zuckerberg was not really perceived as a villain yet, and the full scope of Facebook's power and influence was not fully appreciated, which I think is clear by the time you get to the end of the movie. I'd say so. It almost felt like Sorkin was putting those facts up on the screen at the mm-hmm. end as almost like, boom, how fucked up is this? But then yeah. <laughs> like those numbers are so small compared to what they are now. It's <laughs> insane. But- and I know I've said this before, Sorkin actually creates sympathy and relatability where it's unclear if it ever would have been in real life. The fallacies of the social network humanize Zuckerberg and allow for motives more closely related to understandable emotions. Uh-huh. In other words, the dullards yeah. watching the screen like us right. understand his motivations in the movie, which I'm saying makes him more human than whatever his real motivations probably were. (laughs) Look, he's a genius. I get it. He's doing something that no one else could have done, probably, or at least thought to do. I'm sure other people could have done it. I mean, there's this obvious hunger for more. Would never reach a point where it's just like, we're good. Right. And I'm saying, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, this desire to keep going and keep going, and then once you become so rich and so rich and so rich, you want more, and that more becomes power and influence over elections and all this crazy shit or whatever the fuck's going on with Facebook and Meta and all that stuff. So in a sense, I guess what I'm saying is Sorkin's script ages well for Zuckerberg, Mm -hmm. even though people at the time were like, how could you make up these lies about this person? (laughs) It's like, well, those lies probably made him seem like someone like, yeah, he's an asshole, but he's wounded, which... Let's face it, like 75% of the men out there in the theater are going to relate to that in some way. Definitely. They're going to be like, yeah, I got broken up with too, and it hurt, and then it forced me to do this, and I bettered myself in some way. And then, of course, and we'll get to it. And it's we'll how most things get done. Time on it, <laughs> but it leads to the great ending of all time, maybe mm-hmm. one of the greats in the closing shot of the film. Don't confuse what I'm saying. Erica Albright does not make Zuckerberg heroic or even a good guy or any less of an asshole, but her presence in the story does make him human and relatable and flawed and potentially a candidate for sympathy and empathy. Without her existence, Zuckerberg would likely come off even more alien and robotic, and the story itself would be dry and boring. Sorkin makes this shit far more cinematic than it likely was. We know that. And so her inclusion gives us an end to the character and motivations, Mm -hmm. which I'm sure that was the biggest problem for Sorkin to understand when he's starting the script. Where do you start? How do you start this? What is the reason that he just starts doing this? Right. I don't know. If the idea was he's just a jerk off who got tired of masturbating in his (laughs) dorm room and was like, let me compare girls on campus to farm animals because I'm a dick. 
doesn't it's gonna be hard to suck us into that movie we're gonna be like okay this guy is so unlikable right and i think people get hung up on those scenes and the depositions they're like this guy's such an asshole they make him so unlikable but they but they're not not getting the bigger picture is that actually makes him more human because he's at that point in the movie, in the future, after all this has happened, yeah. he is a wounded animal. And then the Rashida Jones character at the end is like, you're not an asshole, but you're trying so hard to be one. Right. And then you're like, yeah, we get this guy. Yeah. Now, I do think that Sorkin weaves in these moments throughout where you are getting the more sympathetic side of him. Yeah. It's never just a cold dick throughout. Even with the Winklevi. He's annoyed in those because it's almost like they're still continuing to bully him. He doesn't feel like he owes them anything. It's like they're stealing his lunch money. Yeah, which they do say themselves. Yeah. They compare themselves to Karate Kid, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which is kind of funny. It's complicated, though, because in my True. own, as unlikable as Zuckerberg is and potentially is in real life, I do think that that lawsuit, to me, seems absurd. I don't really understand it, and I agree with some of the opinions I've seen online about it where it they basically just got lucky that the guy who created the social network that actually worked and became huge just happened to be in their orbit because it's not like he stole anything from them and their genius idea was to create a social network which with a terrible name myspace already existed so it's not like they invented social networks and he didn't take anything from them so I, I, i literally don't understand how they had any grounds for a lawsuit at a certain point but well i thought the big thing is that at least in the movie, he gets the idea of the exclusivity part. And you think that that, is, that, that idea just floating out there is $65 million worth? I, I just don't think I, there's I, yeah. a really a grounds it's for a lawsuit. Yeah, there. maybe less of a cut <laughs> than that. Yeah. Speaking of Erica Albright, that brings us to the legendary opening scene. You know there are more people with genius IQs living in China than there are people of any kind living in the United States? That can't possibly be true. It is. What would account for that? Well, first, an awful lot of people live in China, but here's my question. How do you distinguish yourself in a population of people who all got 1,600 under SATs? I didn't know they take SATs in China. They don't. I wasn't talking about China anymore. I was talking about me. You got a 1,600? Yes. I could sing in an acapella group, but I can't Does that sing. mean you actually got nothing wrong? I could row crew or invent a $25 PC. Or you could get into a final club? Or I get into a final club. You know, from a woman's perspective, sometimes not singing in an acapella group is a good thing. This is serious. On the other hand, I do like guys who wrote crew. Well, I can't do that. I was kidding. Yes, I got nothing wrong with the test. Have you ever tried? I'm trying right now. To row crew? To get into a final club. To row crew? No. Are you, like, whatever, delusional? Maybe it's just sometimes you say two things at once, I'm not sure which one I'm supposed to be aiming at. But you've seen guys who row crew, right? No. Okay, well, they're bigger than me. They're world-class athletes. And a second ago, you said you liked guys who were cool, so I assumed you had met one. I guess I just meant I like the idea of it. You know, the way a girl likes cowboys. Okay. Should we get something to eat? Would you like to talk about something else? No. It's just since the beginning of the conversation about finals club, I think I may have missed a birthday. There are really more people in China with genius IQs than the entire The Phoenix is the most diverse. The Fly Club... Roosevelt punched the pork. Which one? The Porcellian, the pork, it's the best of the best. Which Roosevelt? Theodore. Is it true that they send a bus around to pick up girls who want to party with the next Fed chairman? So you can see why it's so important to get in. Okay, well, which is the easiest to get into? Why would you ask me that? I was just asking. 
None of them. That's the point. My friend Eduardo made $300,000 betting oil futures one summer, and Eduardo won't come close to getting in. The ability to make money doesn't impress anybody around here. Must be nice. He made $300,000 in the summer? He likes meteorology. You said it was oil futures. You can read the weather, you can predict the price of heating oil. I think you asked me that because you think the final club that's easiest to get into is the one where I'll have the best chance. I... What? You asked me which one was the easiest to get into because you think that that's the one where I'll have the best chance. The one that's the easiest to get into would be the one where anybody has the best chance. You didn't ask me which one was the best one, you asked me which one was the easiest one. I was honestly just asking, okay? I was just asking to ask. Mark, I'm not speaking in code. Erica. You're obsessed with finals clubs. You have finals clubs OCD and you need to see someone about it who will prescribe you some sort of medication. You don't care if the side effects may include blindness. Final clubs, not finals clubs. And there's a difference between being obsessed and being motivated. Yes, there is. Well, you do, that was cryptic, so you do speak in code. I didn't mean to be cryptic. I'm just saying I need to do something substantial in order to get the attention of the clubs. Why? Because they're exclusive and fun, and they lead to a better life. Teddy Roosevelt didn't get elected president because he was a member of the Phoenix Club. He was a member of the Porcellian, and yes, he did. Well, why don't you just concentrate on being the best you you can be? Did you really just say that? I was kidding. Although, just because something's trite doesn't make it any less I want to try to be straightforward with you and tell you that I think you might want to be a little more supportive. If I get in, I will be taking you to the events and the gatherings, and you'll be meeting a lot of people you wouldn't normally get to meet. You would do that for me? We're dating. Okay. Well, I want to try and be straightforward with you and let you know that we're not anymore. What do you mean? We're not dating anymore, I'm sorry. Is this a joke? No, it's not. You're breaking up with you me? You are going to introduce me to people I wouldn't normally have the chance to meet. What the f... What is that supposed to mean? Wait, settle down. What is it supposed to mean? Erica, the reason we're able to sit here and drink right now is because you used to sleep with the door guy. Door guy. His name is Bobby. I have not slept with the door guy. The door guy is a friend of mine, and he's a perfectly good class of people. And what part of Long Island are you from? Wimbledon? Wait. I'm going back to wait, my door. Wait, wait. Is this real? Yes. Okay, then wait. I apologize, okay? I have to go study. Erica? Yes. I'm sorry. I mean it. I appreciate that, but I have to go study. Come on. You don't have to study. You don't have to study. Let's just talk. I can't. Why? Because it is exhausting. Dating you is like dating a stairmaster. All I meant is that you're not likely to... Currently. I wasn't making a comment on your parents. I was just saying that you go to BU. I was stating a fact. That's all. And if it seemed rude, then of course I apologize. I have to go study. You don't have to study. Why do you keep saying I don't have to study? Because you go to BU. Do you want to get some food? I am sorry you are not sufficiently impressed with my education. And I'm sorry I don't have a robot, so we're even. I think we should just be friends. I don't want friends. I was just being polite. I have no intention of being friends with I'm you. I'm under some pressure right now from my OS class, and if we could just order some food, I think we should be... You are probably going to be a very successful computer person. But you're going to go through life thinking that girls don't like you because you're a nerd. And I want you to know from the bottom of my heart that that won't be true. It'll be because you're an asshole. It's simple enough. On October 28, 2003, 19-year-old Harvard University sophomore Mark Zuckerberg, played by Jesse Eisenberg, is dumped by the aforementioned Erica Albright, Although, to be fair, it doesn't seem like that was necessarily her plan for the no, night. It she thought just they were takes have a, a turn. Nice night out here. <laughs> it's clear, though, that Mara and Eisenberg have great chemistry. They're going at this breakneck pace. As we said, the, the talking starts over the Columbia Pictures logo. But even though they're talking in a way that most people could never do in real life, it still kind of feels very real. 
And then the disintegration of the conversation, of course, feels <laughs> very relatable. Sure. <laughs> sometimes it just takes a turn and then it's completely off the back. road. Yeah. You're not getting back on the road. <laughs> They did this in 99 takes, Yeah, which is nuts. Fincher is very much like Kubrick, where we just did A Clockwork Orange and referenced it a couple times about his propensity to do a lot of takes. Fincher is the same way. Brutal, (laughs) I would imagine. Although I've definitely had these types of outings in my life that went this direction with girlfriends, but this was... It was never the end of the relationship. (laughs) You know? Well... That's the thing. You you were talking before we started recording about how it's unbelievable that Mark, the Mark we see in the film, right, could ever land a girl as pretty as Erica, and not just pretty, but normal. confident. Seems like she's very social, yeah. normal, has a life, happy. Yeah. What's the deal? Why is she even with this guy? We don't know as the viewer the history of this relationship. We don't understand it. Because, on like you said, on the surface, it doesn't even make sense. But even if we buy that they're together, we don't know, is this their second date? Right. Is this their fifth date? We don't know how long this has been going on. He probably has been hard to deal with before. I think so. There's an allusion to a sexual history by him. The idea is probably that he's on a short lease but doesn't know it. Yeah. And this was just, like, too much. Yeah, all right. Because he's rude. He says shit that is not true. Comes off very incel-ish. He's very condescending about the school she attends. Yeah. I think this is definitely a precursor for the incel movement. I think that's probably what a lot of the the critical response when people were saying this was anti-geek and misogynistic and angry and all this stuff. That's what they were tapping into. Sorkin was right when he said, well, I was writing about a bunch of angry misogynistic guys. (laughs) And just sort of was like, yeah, that's who they were. Maybe it shows a little bit of naivete in the people that were writing those pieces back in 2010 because they didn't understand how dark it was out there on the internet. And that kind of ties in later with the naivete with Erica's character when she can't believe these things have been written about her on the internet and how innocent we all were in 2004. We didn't understand how bad it was going to get out there. (laughs) Now everyone's been called a bitch on the internet. I know. Well, it used to be I couldn't even read ESPN articles without like looking at the comments at the bottom and people were like viciously attacking each other. <laughs> like, okay. I know. Rooney Mara finished her scenes in four days. She's really only in three scenes, I believe. This yeah. opening scene, a scene in her dorm, and then the restaurant later. Mm-hmm. She would burst onto the scene. We didn't really know who she was in 2010 and then all of a sudden she gets swept up in the casting for the girl with the dragon tattoo she would immediately reteam with fincher that movie would come out the next year which is crazy because these movies aren't small ventures they're huge things and yet they came out about a year apart it was an exciting time with a, a young and exciting cast i think matt in the original episode, you quoted me as you did in this one about the whole thing about the cast. I just always remembered that because it seemed like that was kind of the case. Because they all landed big leading roles. You know, Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. Yeah, in the immediate aftermath, right. it did seem like it was going to be true. All of a sudden, Army Hammer, Andrew Garfield, and Rooney Mara were way more established. Yeah. Eisenberg was kind of already established. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that Timberlake was going to really stick with acting at this point and only do acting. I was really blown away by his performance in this. And then I was including Brenda Song 
and Rashida Jones. I don't. I don't uh, think I realized Rashida Jones was so much older than all of them because she's always looked young and still yeah. looks very young. But yeah, I kind of all considered it to be one big thing, and then Army Hammer's career never really was that great, but then disintegrated, obviously. Sure. And then Rooney Mara really seems like she just, you know, she comes from so much money, doesn't really need to work all the time, and has a very limited career. Now she's a mother and married to, I don't know if she's married, but she's with Joaquin Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And only does like one movie a year or something. And Eisenberg has always been solid and continues to be solid. He never really reached this kind of height ever it, again. It seems like he's still plays like the same age characters that he was playing he's, in 2010. It, it's like a double-edged yeah. sword. You're blessed with youthful looks. And right. He does still seem like he's 20 years old, yeah. but it also kind of impacts your career a little bit. But I've heard he was really good in that new show. He was in Fleischman in Trouble or whatever okay. it was called. I've always liked him, but this yeah. is probably his best performance. Definitely. Because on the surface, you would say he was always playing kind of a nervous, dorky kid. Right. And so this is kind of similar, right? Not really. No. I don't think he'd ever really played a character like this before or after. Yeah. If you go through and examine his characters, they're all essentially likable. Well, and this Mark Zuckerberg character, even though struggles to have friends and fit in socially still has a very much a confidence to him. Yeah. That I don't think we're used to seeing. There's an anger Eisenberg characters. that he doesn't get to usually. Yeah. Anger, confidence, extreme intelligence, oh, yeah. which he has played before. I think his character in Adventureland is supposed mm-hmm. to be smart and everything too, but this is like a whole other level, obviously. A big part of their conversation is circled around these f- final clubs, as they are, and they bring up the idea of exclusivity and popularity, two right. of the big themes at the center of the motivation. They lead to a better life. The final clubs and this obsession with them early on, it gives us a clear, defined angle to approach Mark Zuckerberg, a guy who has a chip on his shoulder. Yeah. He lays all of that out in this conversation, his chips on his shoulder, which there are several. Yeah. He is even jealous that she talks to and knows the bouncer and assumes they've slept together, which is an insane thing to say to a girl you're dating, that you slept with the bouncer if you don't know that for a fact. <laughs> Why would you say that? Yeah. But that's an indication of where his mind is. He's right. definitely got that incel mindset. Yeah. All girls are sluts. I deserve girls. I deserve, you know, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. That's just where it starts. He thinks he's a genius, and he probably is. But he looks at the bouncer, who's like a muscular guy, probably huge or something, right. and is immediately upset. And he probably rose crew. Feels inferior. Yeah. yeah. This obsession with rowing crew. <laughs> There's a lot of insecurity. And then, yeah, as you said, the guys who row crew, because that's just like the perfect little connection with yeah. the Winklevoss twins. And I don't really know if Mark Zuckerberg ever mentioned rowing crew in his life before meeting the Winklevoss twins, but it's fun to plant that seed in a movie. (laughs) From there, as he's returning back to his dorm, it transitions to the Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross score. I think this is something that I talked about a little bit the first time around with this movie, but the score is so perfect because Uh it keeps aging better and better. At the time, it may have seemed a little weird, and then here we are 13 years later, and you're thinking, what do I feel when I feel this? Why is Here's it slow music. and sad? I feel foreboding dread. Yeah. This is feels like something bad is happening. Right. And you realize that 
the something bad that's going to happen isn't anything depicted in this movie. I don't think that was intentional by anyone who made the movie, but it ends up working out perfectly because yeah. the big dread is where we're headed years after this movie came out, which is the world we've lived in these past seven or so years since the meltdowns on Facebook right. and the influence oh. that Facebook has on elections and our lives and our parents and but I how think, fucked up the world is. Like Before you even get to that, the broad statement of how cold of a world it is to just have all of these people just exist on the internet. Yeah. As opposed to interacting in the world. Yeah, I think that was probably closer to what Reznor and Ross's motivation was at the time. Yeah. Kind of that cold, inhuman, digital right. type feel. But then, yeah, that foreboding dread ends up just being so fortuitous right. because of the direction the world went in with social media and everything. Now, I love these first shots where he's just walking through campus. It always kind of reminds me of fall. You yeah. Know? And it just has that vibe. And Well, the movie looks incredible. Yeah, yeah. Of course, with Fincher. But, yeah, it, and it captures a vibe. Right. Which is something I think we talked about a lot the first time around, too, which is forget the story. Forget Facebook. Forget Mark Zuckerberg. Hanging out in dorms in college. This movie really isn't about that. And right. yet, in that first 15 minutes, it does feel yeah. a lot like college. And it's not the look. No, no. And it's not the actors. It's kind of just that energy. It's the yeah. energy of those scenes. We want to do something. We don't know what, but we're, we're awake. Yeah. We have all kinds of energy because we're young. Right. We have a newfound freedom because we're not living with our parents. Yep. It's two in the morning on a Tuesday. We're doing something. I don't know what it is. Granted, me and the people I went to college with, it was probably play Madden or something at four in the morning. <laughs> These people were inventing a billion dollar <laughs> thing. Yeah, but, not exactly know. putting an algorithm on the window. But also should be commented on, you do immediately recognize that we're living in sort of a different world in terms of status here at this university, these dorms. Yeah, I mean, this is not like the dorms you lived in. Um, is, is well, it? there were multi people ones like that that were kind of like apartments. I, I never lived in those, but they did have them. This Are you talking like about the, the size? Because I the just, size is big, but they don't look that nice. I, don't I was know. actually thinking like for how expensive Harvard is, I was expecting like nicer looking places. But I it's not like, really Harvard though. Yeah. I don't know. There's a coziness to them, whereas like a lot of the dorms I've been in were very cold and. Yeah, these were lived in. Yeah. feeling a little bit. Before we get off of the music entirely, though, I will say it's a reminder of the significance of music and film and the scores and how they influence the tone and perception. Because initially, Fincher wanted to use the Elvis Costello song "Beyond Belief," which. I'm an Elvis Costello fan, but I don't know a lot of his songs by title sometimes because I would just listen to the albums when I had the vinyls and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I had to look this up. I listened to it, and I got it. I got what Fincher had in his head, and I do think that it could potentially work, but it would kind of shift the tone the audience. Yeah, the tone mm -hmm. of the film, the audience's perception of what's going to happen and how to feel about what's going to happen, whereas this score by Reznor and Ross the stuff we were talking about, the inhuman, the cold, the foreboding dread, that influences how the audience is going to perceive what comes next. And I just think that, like with all great films, it's those lucky accidents where you have this idea of doing one thing and then people are like, I don't know, maybe just use the, the score we got here from these yeah. guys. This could work a lot better. And then you just do it and you're like, yeah, you know what? That changes the, the right whole call. vibe. According to David Fincher, Harvard 
wasn't very helpful to the crew when they wanted to get as realistic as a portrayal as possible of campus life. They had refused filming there ever since significant physical damage to the campus during the shooting of Love Story from 1970. So oh. other schools had to fill in for it. Two prep schools in Massachusetts, Wheelock College and John Hopkins University in Baltimore mm. were used to stand in for Harvard. But yeah, I think early on you do feel that urgency of youth and campus life, a lot of energy, creative juices, passion, intensity. You know, the things that Matt and I have since lost Absolutely, over time. yeah. But you have a faint memory of it. Yeah, that's what's keeping this podcast yeah. going, that faint memory <laughs> of a time when I gave a shit about anything. <laughs> Returning to his dorm, Mark writes an insulting post about Erica on his live journal blog. Now, this is bad form. I did notice that his blog was called Zuck on it, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> I never noticed that before. Yeah, I also noticed that for the first time this viewing. So, despite the fact that he might be a genius, you do know that there's a lot of immaturity going on here. Right. And this is the worst of it. It's one thing to be mad. And it's one thing to have legitimate gripes, and it's even another thing to put those gripes online. But his gripes are not legitimate. Yeah. We don't know what his gripes about the relationship even are. All he can do is insult her personally in a way that is insane. College kids do regrettable things, but this is far worse than a drunk text, I think. He makes some kind of a crack about her last name. Yeah. Then the bra size Oof. and just calls her a bitch and all these different things. He's starting to drink. And then with a little inspiration from one of his roommates, Mark then creates a campus website called face mash by hacking into the college's databases to steal photos of female students and then having site visitors vote on their attractiveness. That alone in 2023 would be bad enough, mm-hmm. but it's the fact that he was blogging while doing it, and he mentioned the idea of comparing them to farm animals, which he never actually created that site, but there is documentation that he mentioned it. Sure. So that looks even worse. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. There was already websites like that, because he even references hotornot.com. Oh, definitely. I definitely remember that being a thing. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely some horrible things happening on the internet then and now. <laughs> No, they stopped, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's only, it's all great now. Erica Albright's a bitch. Do you think that's because her family changed their name from Albrecht? Or do you think it's because all BU girls are bitches? For the record, she may look like a 34C, but she's getting all kinds of help from our friends at Victoria's Secret. She's a 34B, as in barely anything there. False advertising. The truth is, she has a nice face. I need to do something to take my mind off her. Easy enough, except I need an idea. I'm a little intoxicated, I'm not gonna lie. So what if it's not even 10 p.m. and it's a Tuesday night? The Kirkland Facebook is open on my desktop and some of these people have pretty horrendous Facebook pics. Billy Olson's sitting here and had the idea of putting some of the pictures next to pictures of farm animals and have people vote on who's hotter. Good call, Mr. Olson. Yeah, it's on. 
I'm not gonna do the farm animals, but I like the idea of comparing two people together. It gives the whole thing a very Turing feel, since people's ratings of the pictures will be more implicit than, say, choosing a number to represent each person's hotness like they do on hotornot.com. The first thing we're going to need is a lot of pictures. Unfortunately, Harvard doesn't keep a public centralized Facebook, so I'm going to have to get all the images from the individual houses that people are in. Let the hacking begin. in their Apache configuration, so a little wget magic is all that's necessary to download the entire Kirkland Facebook. It's stuff. search and it returns all the images in the database in a single page. And I can save the page and Mozilla will save all the images for me. Okay, just excellent. Moving right along. Excuse me, everybody. You are at one of the oldest, one of the most exclusive clubs, not just at Harvard, but in the world. And I want to welcome you all to Phoenix Club's first party of the fall semester. <laughs> here and he's going to have the key ingredient. Hey Mark. Bardo. You and Erica split up. How did you know that? It's on your blog. Yeah. Are you alright? I need you. I'm here for you. No, I need the algorithm used to rank chess players. Are you okay? We're ranking girls. You mean other students? Yeah. You think this is such a good idea? I need the algorithm. Mark. I need the algorithm. Give each girl a base rating of 1400, and at any given time, girl A has a rating RA, and girl B has a rating RB. When any two girls are matched up, there's an expectation of which will win based on their current rating, right? Yeah. And those expectations are expressed this way. Let's write it. Right. Right. Yeah, still right. Right. 
Who should we send it to first? Dwyer. Neil. Who are you gonna send it to? Just a couple of people. The question is, who are they gonna send it to? Blogged about you. You don't want to read it. Ooh, Latina. America. Is this yours? I stole it from a tranny. Get the hell out of here! <laughs> Face Mash was opened in 2003, developed by Mark Zuckerberg. He wrote the software for the Face Mash website when he was in his second year of college. The website was set up as a type of hot or not game for Harvard students. The website allowed visitors to compare two students' pictures side by side and let them decide who was more attractive. While writing the software, Mark Zuckerberg wrote the following blog entry. I'm a little intoxicated, I'm not going to lie. So what if it's not even 10 p.m. and it's a Tuesday night? What? The Kirkland Facebook is open on my desktop, and some of these people have pretty horrendous Facebook pics. I almost want to put some of these faces next to pictures of farm animals and have people vote on which is more attractive. Hmm. Which is essentially word for word what yeah. is in the movie. right. Yeah, it's on. I'm not exactly sure how the farm animals are going to fit into this whole thing. You can't really ever be sure with farm animals, dot, dot, dot. But I like the idea of comparing two people together. That was a second post. According to the Harvard Crimson, face mask used photos compiled from the online Facebooks of nine houses, placing two next to each other at a time and asking users to choose the, quote, hotter person. Face mask attracted 450 visitors and 22,000 photo views in the first four hours online. And then as we see in the film, it spirals from there and then completely crashes everything down in the next couple hours. (laughs) I also wanted to include this because we were referencing what Harvard was calling these databases. They actually had the term Facebook, which is sort of weird that he just took that and I guess they didn't really have it copyrighted or anything. It was just a name. A Facebook is a student directory featuring photos and basic information. In 2003, there were no universal online Facebooks at Harvard with only paper sheets distributed and private online directories. Zuckerberg told the Crimson that everyone's been talking a lot about a universal Facebook within Harvard. I think it's kind of silly that it would take the university a couple of years to get around to it. I can do it better than they can, and I can do it in a week. 
In January 2004, Zuckerberg began writing code for a new website known as The Facebook, with inspiration coming from an editorial in The Crimson about FaceMash stating that it is clear that the technology needed to create a centralized website is readily available. The benefits are many. Zuckerberg met with Harvard student Eduardo Saverin, and each of them agreed to invest $1,000 in the site. On February 4, 2004, Zuckerberg launched it under the name of The Facebook, originally located at thefacebook.com. So very early on, some seeds are planted. Misogyny with the farm animals bit. Anger with the Erica Albright bit. But at the same time, we're seeing this stuff cross-cut with the final clubs, the parties. I like the way that Fincher does this. You get the viral thing happening where people are into it and it's spreading quickly. But then also you get the, this is gross. Yeah. And at the same time, you see the world that Mark wants to break into, these final clubs and what's going on at them. And then at sort of the end of those montages, they meet together. I got to tell you, don't ever think I'd be at a party like this in my life either. (laughs) Where the viral spreading of his website meets the people at some of those parties. Right. And then you see that. It's pretty right there on the nose, but you kind of get the idea that's the way into this world. Mm -hmm. And even though in the film, spoiler alert, they never really get around to Mark Zuckerberg joining a final club because at that point it doesn't matter anymore. The final club is just almost a doorway to whatever this world that he has in his head is. And he gets there his own way. (laughs) I like during this whole thing when Erica's roommate... (laughs) It says, Albright, he blogged about you. (laughs) The idea that Erica's roommate is on this dude's blog. I know. How desperate for gossip is she? Because she probably knows that she just broke up with him, so she jumps on his blog to see if he's going to write something about it. I got to tell you, I cannot remember a single time where I was actively looking for someone's blog on the internet ever. You weren't very social, though. You didn't really have friends until your late 20s. So shouldn't I have more so been looking for people's blogs then? You weren't allowed on the internet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was both your parents and also the state stepping in. (laughs) The idea of somebody ever having a blog was like so perplexing to me. Yeah, but they've managed to turn blogging into its own form of social media now. Where essentially if you have a Twitter a Facebook, right. a Tumblr, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. These are all kind of just variations yeah, yeah. of blogs, really. I think it was that look, that teary-eyed look, whenever she realizes that other people have read Mark's blog for some reason, which doesn't make any sense. I know. But she's being teased about the bra and the whole thing. Again, why are, wow, how random are these random BU students reading Mark Zuckerberg's yeah. blog? He's not anybody. <laughs> He's just some random no one. I guess they all wanted to, like, get dirt on Erica to make fun of her. They yeah. were like, this fucking dork is going to write something. We're going to be able to use it. <laughs> Everyone hates her so much. <laughs> During this big night, though, we're introduced to Eduardo Saverin, played by Andrew Garfield. Sharp-looking dude. He provides an algorithm that helps get this all going. We can maybe circle back to that later. I don't know. doesn't really seem to matter that much other than mark makes that weird comment later about if you knew what you were looking for you would have saw algorithm written on my window or whatever it's like (laughs) why would they be looking on people's windows yeah i know and really this algorithm got you to (laughs) what all facebook is yeah i don't know 
That line never made sense to me. I I didn't get it. After traffic to the site crashes parts of Harvard's computer network, Mark is given six months of academic probation. This particular stunt is not only the inception of Facebook, but it also puts Mark on the radar across campus. However, it's at that moment that we learn of the social network's structure, the film. We will experience the story in the past, flashing back from two separate depositions, both involving Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook. We don't know immediately what these depositions are, because I'm going to talk about this as if you're coming into the film not knowing any of the history. You don't know what's going to happen. The first one involves Eduardo, who we just met. Yeah. I do like this part when we first get this deposition scene, because Mark is like John Goodman in The Big Lebowski. He just gets like hung up on something, and everyone else has moved on, and he's like almost over there. Like Walter, he's like, he can't believe what the lawyer just read was Erica's deposition. Yeah. <laughs> was yeah. her interview or whatever. And he's like, that fucking bitch. <laughs> he, he's like hung up on it, just refuses to believe that she said those things. I do love that she would be someone that's interviewed for this. Well, part of a lawsuit sometimes is to embarrass the character. The yeah. Well, yeah. The character, quote-unquote, let's try to humiliate them into giving me money. (laughs) Andrew Garfield was originally asked to audition for Mark Zuckerberg, but David Fincher decided he was too good at wearing his heart on his sleeve to play such an emotionally guarded character. Garfield found it helpful to go from reading for Mark to reading for Eduardo because he felt that Eduardo tried to understand Mark through Mark's point of view. Shia LaBeouf also in the mix for Zuckerberg. I could have potentially seen it, but there's something almost too violent in yeah. Shia LaBeouf where I don't know if he could be as meek as Mark is yeah, in the beginning yeah. of the film. I don't know. A little too bombastic, maybe. Face Mash's popularity attracts the attention of twins, Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss, and their business partner, Divya Narendra. Intrigued by what Mark accomplished and what he might be capable of, the so, two invite Mark to work on Harvard Connection, a social network exclusive to Harvard students and aimed at dating. All these students are throwing around, you know, business partner pretty loosely <laughs> at this point. Well, it's a little bit different when you are at Harvard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and your parents already probably right. have set you up with some fucking company yeah and eduardo already is sitting on like a boatload of cash yeah as you pointed out the thing that the this trio can really be credited with at least in the film again yeah. the details of the real life stuff are not that interesting to me but in the film these three are building an idea on the illusion of exclusivity that's what is attractive to a social networking site in their mind. And that is what Facebook was built upon yeah. at first until they didn't need it anymore. Right. We'll, we'll kind of get back to that. But Facebook is sort of built on these ideas and then they throw them away as soon as they don't need to worry about it anymore because they're so massive. They've and got exclusivity is one of them. Yep. When I joined Facebook for the first time, you still needed a .edu email address. I don't think there was any restrictions at that point on which college you went to as long as it was .edu. I'm pretty sure that's what I remember. Hmm. But I was only really on Facebook for a few years total. I haven't been on it now since, I don't know, 2013 maybe? Something like that. Which, I'm not bragging. I know that everyone gets annoyed. It's like, yeah, we don't want to hear it. But (laughs) 
<laughs> because people saying that they got off Facebook has become such a hack. I'm sure know, achievement yeah. to brag about, but I don't know a lot about what's what's been going on with it now. But I don't know when you signed up for it for the first time. Was it, it still was a, a .edu situation? No, it was after that. I see. I can't remember what year it was. It would have probably been. I don't know. Oh five, oh six, oh seven. I don't know. Yeah, I, I have no idea now. I don't know. I think I was on it in like I got on it in like oh seven, oh eight, something like that. And I immediately didn't get it. I never yeah. understood Facebook or MySpace really. I was kind of always thinking, what is the point of this? What do you do? <laughs> yeah. Why do I care what this person's doing? <laughs> It was always like that. I, I was always sort of mystified by it. Yeah. But anyway, it starts with the idea of exclusivity. And now we understand the participants of the second deposition. Army Hammer, who portrayed the Winklevoss twins, acted alongside body double Josh Pence while his scenes were filmed. His face was later digitally grafted onto Pence's face during post-production while other scenes used split-screen photography. Pence was concerned about having no FaceTime during the role, but after considerable musing thought of it as a no-brainer, he also appears in a cameo elsewhere in the film. He's the guy that tries to go into the bathroom. Oh. And they're like, oh, some girls are nice. getting ready. Yeah, that, that's the other guy. That's the gotcha. other Winklevoss yeah. twin. Hammer states that director David Fincher likes to push himself and likes to push technology and is one of the most technologically-minded guys I've ever seen. This included sending the actors to twin boot camp for 10 months to learn everything about the Winklevosses. That Lord. seems insane. I know. 10 months. That's a lot of prep for a movie. Max Mangella plays Divya Narendra. Aziz Ansari auditioned for the role of Divya Narendra. In a New York Times article written by Ansari, he admitted that his audition was horrible, but he did not like that a non-Indian actor was cast as Max Mangella is not Indian. By the way, Eduardo Saverin IRL is Brazilian, and Andrew Garfield is English. Hmm. So yeah, there's a couple of casting yeah. things that I'm not sure would happen today. Fincher did, though, forbid the actors from meeting their real-life counterparts until the film was wrapped, which is interesting because... I think certain actors would prefer to meet the real life people yeah, yeah. if they could, and Fincher deliberately didn't want to. Which wonder which ones would have been interested, like real life people. Well, I did read something about Army Hammer and one of the other guys pranking Max Mangella by introducing him to Divya Narendra. Okay, and telling Divya to speak in an Indian accent when oh boy. when meeting him as like a joke. Yeah. Because he doesn't actually right, speak right. with one, but <laughs> and I think Sean Parker did meet Justin Timberlake, yeah, and told him not to worry about it because the script is, is nothing like who he is or something. It, like it wouldn't matter to mm -hmm. spend time with me or whatever. Though Mark does agree to help the Winklevoss twins and Narendra, he also approaches Eduardo with an idea for the Facebook, a social networking website that would be exclusive to Ivy League students. Eduardo provides $1,000 in seed funding, allowing Mark to build the website, which quickly becomes popular. The tagline that they're using here is the entire social experience of college put online. That mm -hmm. is the idea. How is this different from MySpace? Well, it's not. <laughs> That's the thing that I never really got either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just better. It's, right. It's not really that different from... Yeah. 
other than the exclusivity think, and then the fact that the site was built better. In very early days for me, somebody described it as Facebook was more like Apple and MySpace was more like Microsoft. <laughs> okay. I just think the problem with MySpace was they allowed for too much junk yeah. and it bogged the whole thing down where you'd go on somebody's page and 10 different videos would start playing and music would play and right. all kinds of different stupid shit was happening. And I don't know, it just got too much of that kind of thing. Yeah. And bands know. trying to recruit fans, uh-huh. and, you know, like shitty bands. I don't know. It was just, it, it got like too bogged down with bullshit. The thing that sort of turned me off of Facebook was just that it became like a thing for old people. That was one of the things. Well, yeah. Also, I didn't want anyone to know anything about me, and I didn't want to know anything well, about Well, that anyone. started to get bogged down with shit, too, though. I remember in the later days of me being in there, like, Farmville was always on it. Oh, like the games and yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, see, it got so big where the other thing besides exclusivity that they, need, they didn't need to worry about anymore was anything to do with coolness right. or being cool. Yeah. Because once you get so big, it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. I think one of the things that kind of pushed me off towards the end of my days, too, was the endless strings of comments of people going back and forth in like an argument. Well, yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty like, sure that's all it is now. Enough. Too. Like, who gives a shit, people? Without Eduardo, Mark really wouldn't have been able to ditch the twins and Narendra so easily. Yeah. And I do think that's crucial in the story of the film. I don't know about in real life, but yeah. I think Sorkin is setting it up that way, where you make it obvious that Zuckerberg is able to ditch those guys because he realizes he doesn't need them. Mm -hmm. But if he didn't have Eduardo's money, he probably would have had to rely on their money, and he wouldn't have owned it himself, basically. That's at least how they make it seem. In theory, it seems as if Mark is trying to create a microcosm of any social hierarchy, an online caste system. Just like cool kids in high school, there's a, a popularity hierarchy. And as I said, it's all completely disposable once the dream becomes real. Once you've actually gotten into the door and it's inevitable that you've built this thing that everyone wants a piece of, then you don't need to worry about how it started or how you thought it was going to be exclusive or cool or mm-hmm. anything like that. You've become the brand. And it does seem to burn Mark up that Eduardo was being recruited by a prestigious final club, and oh sure, there's no invitation for Mark forthcoming huh. in the film. No interest. He was not being recruited. The deposition scenes in the film do provide the most humor, because by that point he's Mark 2.0 in the quote-unquote present day of the lawsuits. He's the same, but confident. He's a smartass. Super I, rich now. I would say he's got that wounded animal vibe though definitely he's hurt so he's hurting is the idea yes when they first learn of the facebook.com the winklevoss twins and narendra are incensed believing that mark stole their idea while misleading them by stalling development on the harvard connection website mark what is this what this it's called a cease and desist letter what were their names who the girls when did you get this about 10 days ago, right after we launched the site. Jesus Christ. Hey, the girls, what were their They're names? They're saying the Winklevoss twins are saying that you stole their idea. I find that to be a little more than mildly annoying. Oh, well, they find it to be intellectual property theft. Look, why didn't you show this to me? It was addressed to me. They're saying that we stole the Facebook from Divian Arendra and the Winklevoss. I know what it says. Did we? Did we what? Don't screw around with me now. Look at me. 
The letter says we could face legal action. No, it says I could face legal action. This is from a lawyer, Mark. They must feel they have some grounds. The lawyer is their father's house counsel. Do they have grounds? The grounds are our thing is cool and popular and Harvard Connection is lame. Wardo, I didn't use any of their code. I promise, I didn't use anything. Look, a guy who builds a nice chair doesn't owe money to everyone who ever has built a chair, okay? They came to me with an idea. I had a better one. Why didn't you show me this letter? I didn't think it was a big deal. If there's something wrong, if there's ever anything wrong, you can tell me. I'm the guy that wants to help. This is our thing. Now, is there anything that you need to tell me? No. What are we doing about this? I went to a 3L at Student Legal Services and he told me to write them back. And what did you say? When we met in January, I expressed my doubts about the site, where it stood with graphics, how much programming was left that I had not anticipated. The lack of hardware we had to deal with, site use, the lack of promotion that would go on to successfully launch the website. This was the first time you raised any of those concerns, right? I'd raised concerns before. Bullshit. Not to us. Gentlemen, I'm talking about at the meeting in January to which this letter is referring. Yeah. Let me rephrase this. You sent my client 16 emails. In the first 15, you didn't raise any concerns. Is that a question? In the 16th email, you raised concerns about the site's functionality. Were you leading them on for six weeks? No. Then why didn't you raise any of these concerns before? It's raining. I'm sorry? It just started raining. Mr. Zuckerberg, do I have your full attention? No. Do you think I deserve it? What? Do you think I deserve your full attention? I had to swear an oath before we began this deposition and I don't want to perjure myself, so I have a legal obligation to say no. Okay, no. You don't think I deserve your attention? I think if your clients want to sit on my shoulders and call themselves tall, they have a right to give it a try, but there's no requirement that I enjoy sitting here listening to people lie. You have part of my attention, you have the minimum amount. The rest of my attention is back at the offices of Facebook, where my colleagues and I are doing things that no one in this room, including and especially your clients, are intellectually or creatively capable of doing. Did I adequately answer your condescending question? There's a couple of things going on here at once. First, a cease and desist from the Winklevi and Divya. It's clear that Mark is in no way concerned with these guys. <laughs> Does nothing. It's also the first time that Eduardo, essentially Mark's business partner now, is hearing about the Harvard Connection situation. That is potentially troubling for someone who yeah. might be on the hook financially if shit right. goes down. Mark's just like, yeah, yeah, don't worry about that. But it's also an indicator as to the nature of Mark and Eduardo's relationship. Mark doesn't think it's important to have to tell him everything. Right. Clearly. We're seeing a little bit of a lack of trust, a lack of cohesion, and the final club element just adds fuel to the fire of discontent. You've got Eduardo advancing through all these stages it seems like it's going to happen very specifically in his conversation with erica at the beginning of the film mark says eduardo made three hundred thousand dollars predicting oil futures over the summer and he's not even close to getting into one <laughs> so that leads you to believe that this is a shock yeah, yeah. to him he did uh, not think eduardo was on that level and he's now he's feeling really left behind seething the second thing in addition to the cease and desist, is the question of money. Eduardo, the main investor, is interested in monetizing the site. You have to remember, within a few months, this thing is really taking off. This is the definition of something going viral. And Mark seems to understand that very well for someone in 2004 sure. when he says, 
it's not about who we send it to. It's about who they send it to and how that just keeps going. And that happens with Facebook. It's Absolutely. taking off. So Eduardo naturally is thinking, how do we turn this into a business? How do we make money? However, Mark understands that coolness is their number one primary commodity. He doesn't want to bog the site down with bullshit. As I said, think of what happened to other sites. Yep. Other social networking platforms. There's a model MySpace. already. Yes. These things got fucked up immediately. Because if you're old enough to remember MySpace the first time you got on it. Very simple. Versus the time you yeah. left it for the last time. Right. It was not the same. It sucked. Not that it was ever like a great site. But it was the first time you were seeing sure. people you knew online, yeah, yeah. and it was a whole thing. And after that novelty wore off, it was pretty limited, especially compared to what Facebook did and then what Facebook became. But mm -hmm. Mark seems to understand, though, we got to keep this cool for as long as we can. It is kind of genius. He understands Definitely. that if you hold out and hold out and hold out, it's going to be worth so much more than if you cash in immediately. Right. Once you start cashing in, that's when people start leaving and then people are like, Oh God, there's a giant Domino's pop-up ad. What the fuck is this? You know, <laughs> the people are losing interest Me in clicking it. on it. <laughs> Order tonight. <laughs> Don't mind if I do. <laughs> During one of the depositions, it is mentioned that the invention of Facebook made Zuckerberg the biggest thing on a campus that included 19 Nobel laureates, 15 Pulitzer prize winners, two future Olympians and a movie star. One of the lawyers then asks, who was the movie star? And the response is, does it matter? This movie star was, in fact, Natalie Portman, oh. who was enrolled at Harvard from 1999 to 2003 hmm. and helped screenwriter Aaron Sorkin by providing him insider information about the goings-on at Harvard at the time Facebook first appeared there. I did know it was her. I didn't know that other part about it, though. She revealed during a... 2011 Oscar roundtable for Newsweek that she gave a dinner party for writer Aaron Sorkin while he was writing the script for this movie to which she invited a bunch of her friends from Harvard. She wanted to give him the chance to listen to firsthand stories about the social life at Harvard University. It does not take long after the launch of the Facebook to realize that Mark and company are onto something huge. With the site comes the fringe benefits, which manifest in newfound popularity on campus, notoriety, and of course, girls. Eduardo and Mark meet fellow student Christy Lee, played by Brenda Song, who asks them to, quote, Facebook me, a phrase that blows their minds. This thing of theirs has become a verb. They do refer to them as groupies, which is kind of naive and silly, but Christy starts a tumultuous relationship with eduardo so. yeah <laughs> tumultuous and exciting there's definitely a, a press here that i can't say i'm familiar with from my life at all and then that same night that they hang out with christy lee for the first time they do have a run-in with erica this is rooney's last appearance in the film it's a pretty <laughs> brutal <laughs> memorable oh. exchange <laughs> yeah just a beat down really I give the Mark character credit here, though, because this would not be an approach from me. You would just duck out? Absolutely. <laughs> now, granted, he did just hook up with some girl in the bathroom here. He's got this newfound confidence. Yeah. He wants to impress her right. with Facebook, which is what I meant with all that stuff about her being the hell of Troy. It's almost as if he's doing this all to make her 
either regret dumping him or think that yeah. he's cool or get back with her or whatever, which of course is absurd and that's not what, what the movie is. Yeah. But yeah. That friggin' conversation at the Thirsty Scholar or wherever they were, there's no coming back from that, Mark. It's over. The door is slammed shut. Erica? Yeah, hi. I saw you from over there. I didn't know you came to this club alone. First time. Mine too. Could I talk to you alone for a second? I think I'm good right here. I just... I'd love to talk to you alone. If we could just go someplace. Right here is fine. I don't know if you heard about this new website I launched. No. The Facebook... You called me a bitch on the internet, Mark. That's why I wanted to talk to you. If we on could the just... internet. That's why I came over. Comparing women to farm animals. I didn't end up doing that. I didn't stop you from writing it. As if every thought that tumbles through your head was so clever it would be a crime for it not to be shared. The internet's not written in pencil, Mark. It's written in ink. And you published that Erica Albright was a bitch right before you made some ignorant crack about my family's name, my bra size, and then rated women based on their hotness. Erica, is there a problem? No, there's no problem. You write your snide bullshit from a dark room because that's what the angry do nowadays. I was nice to you. Don't torture me for it. If we could just go somewhere for a minute. I don't want to be rude to my friends. Good luck with your video game. You called me a bitch on the internet, Mark. That's why I wanted to talk to you. On the internet. That's why I came over. Comparing women to farm animals. I didn't end up doing that. It didn't stop you from writing it as if every thought that tumbled through your head was so clever it would be a crime for it not to be shared. The internet's not written in pencil, Mark. It's written in ink. And you published that Erica Albright was a bitch right before you made some ignorant crack about my family's name, my bra size, and then rated women based on their hotness. The other guy jumps in. Erica, is there a problem? Oh, humiliating. No, there's no problem. You write your snide bullshit from a dark room because that's what the angry do nowadays. I was nice to you. Don't torture me for it. Rough. I just had to get that all exactly as it was said because some of the shit that she says is so dead on Yeah, yeah. for not only being a critique of social media, every thought that went through your head was so yeah, critical yeah. it had to be published, but also the incel takedown in the second part about definitely snide comments from your dark room. Yeah, it, it's really a, a prescient couple of lines there that really are as relevant now as they ever were, if not more so. Yeah, this is definitely a knockout. This has evolved into a crucial moment, very much on the nose, prescient on the topic of social media. What she says is so dead on and has aged like a fine wine over these last 13 or 14 years. All about incels, all about toxic masculinity, general toxicity on the internet. And then, of course, in terms of the story, Erica is now continued motivation in the next little meeting with his crew Uh he brings up the expansion why do you want a story in the bu newspaper because i do (laughs) (laughs) sorkin really captures the spirit of the lonely angry and wounded young man and in a way it's irrelevant if it's actually how mark zuckerberg was at the time and i was thinking of don draper for mad men i was just thinking that's what the money's for yeah 
Mark Zuckerberg. We get to make up this narrative that you were an angry incel. <laughs> and then you get to have $100 billion. Whatever, whatever you want. As the Facebook grows in popularity, the plan becomes to expand the network to Yale, Columbia, and Stanford University. In response, the Winklevoss twins and Narendra raise their complaint with Harvard President Larry Summers, who is dismissive and sees no value in disciplinary action on the Facebook or Mark Zuckerberg himself. Sort of a hilarious scene with this dude. Yeah, it's a very funny scene. The real Lawrence Summers called the film's portrayal of his meeting with the Winklevoss twins, quote, fairly accurate. (laughs) He went on to say, I've heard it said that I can be arrogant. If that's true, I surely was on that occasion. One of the things you learn as a college president is that if an undergraduate is wearing a tie and jacket on Thursday afternoon at 3 o'clock, there are two possibilities. One is that they're looking for a job and have an interview. The other is that they are an asshole. This was the latter case. (laughs) Rarely have I encountered such swagger, and I try to respond in kind. (laughs) I like how he just completely buries the Winklevoss in real life. He's the president of the college they went to, and he's like, they're assholes. (laughs) In the Harvard Student Handbook, which is distributed to each freshman, under the heading Standards of Conduct in the Harvard Community, it says the college expects all students to be honest and forthcoming in their dealings with members in this community. Students are required to respect public and private ownership and instances of theft, misappropriation, and... Yes, sir. Punch me in the face. Go ahead. Or unauthorized use will result in disciplinary action, including the requirement to withdraw from the college. You memorize that instead of doing what? What my brother and I came here today to ask of you, respectfully, of course, is it's against university rules to steal from another student, plain and simple. You've spoken to your housemaster. Yes, sir. And the housemaster made a recommendation to the ad board, but the ad board won't see us. Have you tried dealing with the other student directly? Mr. Zuckerberg hasn't been responding to any of our emails or phone calls for the last two weeks. He doesn't answer when we knock on his door at Kirkland, and the closest I've come to dealing with him face-to-face is when I saw him on the quad and chased him through Harvard Square. chased him? I, I, I saw him, and I know he saw me. I went after him, and then he disappeared. I don't see this as a university issue. Of course this is a university issue. There's a code of ethics and an honor code, and he violated You enter into a code of ethics with the university, not with each other. I'm sorry, President Summers, but what you just said makes no sense to me at all. I'm devastated by that. What, what my brother means is if Mark Zuckerberg walked into our dorm room and, and stole our computer, that would be a university I issue. I really don't know. This office doesn't handle petty larceny. This isn't petty larceny. Right. This idea is potentially worth millions of dollars. Millions? Yes. You might just be letting your imaginations run away with you. Sir, I honestly don't think you're in any position to make that call. I was the U.S. Treasury Secretary. I'm in some position to make that call. Letting our imaginations run away with us is exactly what we were told to do in your freshman address. Well, then I would suggest that you let your imaginations run away with you on a new project. You would? Yes, everyone at Harvard's inventing something. Harvard undergraduates believe that inventing a job is better than finding a job. So I'll suggest again that the two of you come up with a new, new project. I'm sorry, sir, but that's not the point. Please. Arrive at the point. You don't have to be an intellectual property expert to understand the difference between right and wrong. And you're saying that I don't? Of course I'm not saying that, sir. I'm saying that. Really? Sir. And how did they get this appointment? Colleagues of their father. Let me tell you something, Mr. Winklevoss. Mr. Winklevoss, since you're on the subject of right and wrong, this action, this meeting, the two of you being here, is wrong. It's not worthy of Harvard. It's not what Harvard saw in you. You don't get special treatment. We never asked. Oh, just start another project? If you like, have, like we're making a diorama for a science fair? If you have fair, a problem with that, Mr. Winklevoss. We Winkle never Ross, asked for special the treatment. The courts are always at your disposal. 
Is there anything else I can do for you? Oh, you can take the harvester and handbook and shit. Thank you very much for your time, sir. Whoops. Broke a 335-year-old doorknob. Very briefly, I'll give my thoughts on the Winklevoss case, which I think I kind of already have, but it's absurd. I think that they got to have this much money yeah. out of this lawsuit. He didn't take any of their intellectual property, anything they had built, any of their code. And as I said, what is their claim then? That they had an idea for a social network site? Right. They already existed. They didn't really have an idea for anything. Yeah, yeah. They wanted to make a dating site. <laughs> and that somehow led to $65 million at the end of it. Yeah. As I was saying, it's only because they were lucky enough to be in Mark Zuckerberg's orbit. Because if he hadn't done it, if someone at Stanford had done it, then they wouldn't have been anywhere close. They Absolutely, couldn't have claimed yeah. anything. It's not like their idea was anything that other people didn't already have. They just happened to be close to the to the guy that was capable of actually doing it. Yeah. Although in the movie, and I don't know how close this is to real life, but they had some sort of a working relationship that was ongoing on this project together that doesn't end up happening. Right. But he didn't take anything of theirs and use it, and right. nothing that he ever signed or did with Correct. them yeah. prevented him from doing anything else. Right. Around this time in California, Sean Parker, the founder of Napster, first becomes aware of the Facebook. And I think I uh, was checking just the timeline, this this watch, and it's, it's you're like an hour in at this point. Yeah. When he w- wakes up in the dorm room here. What are you saying? That that's a lot? Yeah, I think so. Well, I kind of considered Timberlake to be on a second A tertiary tier. character? Well, he's a supporting character, but he's a supporting character for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Jonah Hill was in contention for Sean Parker. Oh, wow. This is Dakota Johnson's kind of screen debut. She was in one of her mom's movies in 1999 when she was like 10 years old. Oh, wow. This was like really her debut, I guess. What are your thoughts on the Sean Parker depiction? He seems like kind of a crazy (laughs) douchebag. I don't know... How real that is. But I actually love the character, even though he's not a good guy. It's a fun performance to watch. He's yeah. like, And he's exciting in like the Mark scenes, like particularly that one when they're in the club and he tells the Victoria's Secret story. Right. So there is like some really great moments with him. And I love the way it all breaks down for him. The whole thing with the EpiPen and inhaler at that party, <laughs> I just think is like such a great final resolution for that character what we've seen and like what it boils down to yeah he's super cocky he ends up becoming villainous in sort of a an unintentional way but then intentional at the end for whatever reason he has a lot of animosity towards eduardo they almost make it seem as if he's trying to steal mark as a friend yeah more than anything else or maybe they're just trying to say that he realizes that Eduardo sees through him, so he needs to get rid of him so that he can get his hooks into Facebook. Well, I think he th- thinks of himself as a better Eduardo. <laughs> get out of the way, man. Like, I cannot believe this guy's got 30% of the company. Basically, yeah. I think that one of the things they don't really specify too much in the film is I think Sean Parker was brought in as a president of Facebook initially or something and then was basically cut out. But yeah. If Erica Albright serves as motivation for creation, then Sean Parker is the catalyst of the relationship between Mark and Eduardo crumbling. There's a lot of jealousy at how Mark looked at and thought of Parker, which brings out our first 
bit of emotion out of Eduardo that we aren't accustomed to seeing. I think from Eduardo's perspective, he doesn't understand why Mark is suddenly... Enamored by this guy? No, I would say more, why is he not trusting me? Like, nothing to do with Sean yet. Oh, yeah, Like, why is he just not acting like we're friends? Like, I don't understand why he doesn't bring me in and trust me. He doesn't tell me things. Mm -hmm. He didn't tell me about the cease and desist. There's a lot of building mistrust, and then you introduce Parker into the mix, and then they kind of use him as this guy that Mark looks up to. Yeah, yeah. Because he's already come onto the scene, created something, and it wasn't that he just created something that took the world by storm. It was he created something that thumbed its nose at the pre-established authority, some basically yeah. just disrupted everything. Well, and I and I do think one of the things that's great about this character, in the way Mark looks at him, is he's one of the the cool guys. Like he looks at Sean Parker as one of the cool guys, but they keep kind of giving you things that maybe he's not. <laughs> like maybe this is all a well, fake yeah, he's, out. Yeah, he's kind of a dork too. He, yeah, he's a guy who liked hacking and writing code and all that stuff and then he comes up with napster and then i don't know where he was at in real life at this point but in the movie this guy has no place to live and he's out of money yeah he's a little got a little bit of a grifter thing going where he's acting like a rock star right and he's maybe not really got anything behind this lifestyle that he's presenting now i will say this on the eduardo thing because i've always watched this movie feeling like he gets completely fucked over. And I think to some degree that's the way you're supposed to feel. But watching it this time around, I am just like, well, what was he doing to try to contribute to this company? Other than the money thing, which I know is big because there was no Well, money he was at the trying time. to sell ads. He was trying to drum up ad interest, but that's not what Mark wanted. Right. That's basically it. Yeah. Because it was already tense before Sean even comes onto the scene because they do have some meetings with the ad execs. You have the Sorkin cameo is one of them, and Mark is blowing it on yeah, purpose because yeah. he doesn't want it. He still is obsessed with trying to make it as cool as possible first. Right. And then you cash in big time later, which is basically what happened. Christy somehow, not clear, arranges for Mark and Eduardo to meet with Sean in New York City. Eduardo later describes this night as a, quote, Seanathon. Sean presents a billion-dollar vision for the company. It's obvious that Mark is thoroughly impressed and looks up to Sean. Sean's grandiose vision is more closely aligned with whatever is in Mark's head, whereas what Eduardo wants to do with ads and monetization seems small-time to Mark. Eduardo dismisses Sean as paranoid and delusional, but it's even deeper than that. He just rubs Eduardo the wrong way. And you can tell... I think it's a great performance from Timberlake because yeah, yeah. you simultaneously get why Mark thinks he's cool and you also simultaneously get why Eduardo, Eduardo thinks he's a douchebag yeah. and a fake. Right. And even like a step further has like a predatory nature towards Mark. Oh, this is somebody I can sink my teeth into. There's money to be made here. Yeah, as soon as he I'm gonna last as soon as he this. realizes yeah. how Mark looks at him. Right. He understands that this is going to be his meal ticket. This is how you go from 0% company stake to 7%. Yeah, well, spoiler alert, Sean Parker is a billionaire too, as is basically everyone in this stupid movie. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck everyone. (laughs) However, Sean does suggest ditching the the and renaming the site justfacebook.com, a suggestion welcomed and adopted by Mark. 
The real life Mark Zuckerberg, by the way, said that he had never heard of an Apple Teeny before, and after seeing the movie, tried one and then made it the official drink of Facebook. I guess because <laughs> he liked it. There is a great quote though from Sean Parker in this scene at the restaurant. He says, "Private behavior is a relic of time gone by." Yeah, that was a line where I was like, "Whoa." Wow. Even when we first did this episode in 2017, I don't think that had become as relevant. It covers so much, not just social media, not just how people put out there, but it it goes into surveillance through your computer, government surveillance. It goes through cancel culture, people digging through your past, trying to find out dirt on you, doxing. I mean, everything. It's it's (laughs) wild how crazy that line is. One other note on the Apple Tini thing. I do think that's funny because they're supposed to be underage. And yeah. that is just like totally the type of drink that someone would order who doesn't actually go to bars and is able to order drinks. Eh, I don't know. I, I think there'd be some that. girls that yeah. look like Christy who have done some time. At, who have been t- yeah. over 21 and still order Apple Teenies. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Okay. I can see. I think Apple Teenies were big. They had a run. I don't know if that was in 2004, but I do think yeah. there was a run at some point. There was point. a little bit of a moment for Apple Teenies. Around this time, there's a story in the Harvard newspaper that accuses Eduardo of animal cruelty as part of his initiation into the final club. He had to take care of a chicken, and then he fed the chicken chicken. Uh, Rough scene. But the idea is floated and then never really resolved that it could potentially be a planted story, whether it's planted by a rival final club or... Maybe Mark himself uh-huh. later is on the table, although I don't believe that. Right. But the movie kind of wants you to Think, toy with yeah. that idea that he was already maybe trying to push Eduardo out because he was realizing that they were completely apart on where they wanted to take it. Yeah. We also get those scenes which a lot of attention was paid to. I don't really think of them as huge crucial parts but they have those marathon coding and hacking sessions with the shots and all that stuff right i remember a lot of emphasis being put on that as if that's like what the whole movie is but it's really not no there's like two scenes yeah at this point eduardo invests another eighteen thousand after his initial thousand in the deposition scene the lawyer adds that up to be nineteen thousand and then (laughs) mark has just an ass fincher's favorite line from the movie (laughs) Hold on, let me check your math on that. Oh, yeah, I got the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Eduardo works an internship in New York over the summer. Mark relocates Facebook to Palo Alto on Sean's advice. Sean later moves into the house that Mark is using as a base of operations and becomes much more involved with the company. Okay. Much much to Eduardo's annoyance. So my one problem with this movie... (laughs) that I'm sure I talked about the last time we did it because it bothers me every time, is Sean Parker coming back into the fold by supposedly his girlfriend living across the street from the house that they're staying in. Well, the movie, I think, wants you to question that moment from two different perspectives. You have to think either A, Mark picked that house on purpose because he knew that Sean was around there, yeah. Or Sean. B, Sean knew that Mark was there already. Yeah, yeah, right. And hooked up with some girl and then used an excuse. I don't know if either are supposed to be true, but I definitely think the movie wants you to think about both of those possibilities. And I do, but I still feel like there's a different way to... Br- I, if Mark's going out there, it does seem like there should be more of a... It would be completely natural for him to just reach out to Sean 
after it the last interaction. It seems likely that in the world of the movie, we're supposed to believe that Sean is accidentally dropping in. Right. Because Mark probably put on Facebook that we're moving to this place or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. At this point, they probably both have Facebook accounts, mm-hmm. and they are friends with each other on Facebook. And then, he, you know, th- something to that effect. Like, I'm putting it out there that I'm moving here, and then Sean does a little bit of detective work because he's got this new meal ticket right? moving into town. And that's supposed to be why Sean is so intelligent, because he sees it, too. He sees oh, yeah. immediately how huge this is going to be. And even IRL, if you read quotes from Zuckerberg about Sean Parker he does sort of say that Sean was one of the first people that would see how big it was. And he credits him with some things. Sure. I think in real life, Zuckerberg at least pretends to be pretty magnanimous to everybody now, but yeah, yeah. You know, he came up with some of these ideas of expansion, but he, in the movie, at least he is like one of the first people that is like, no, 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 no. this is going to be so much bigger than you're even thinking. Right. But I think in real life, if you buy into the Zuckerberg narrative of why he built the site in the first place, he did sort of have this grandiose dream of connecting the entire world through a site. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Who knows what's real and what's folklore in terms of me building a site. I'm the smartest man in the world. Yeah, yeah. That kind of stuff. One of the things that I do wonder, like when they're in this house and everything, what is it that they're always working on? <laughs> Obviously, I know Facebook at large, but... Well, I don't know. They're just coding. They're building the site and yeah. how much things they put into it and all this different stuff. And I guess part of it is their dream is that their site never goes down. Yeah, right. So in order to achieve that, yeah, you'd probably constantly have to be expanding things as it grew mm-hmm. because the insane amount of traffic at right. a certain point. I don't know. I don't really know a lot about same coding and all that shit. Your date looks so familiar to me. She looks familiar to a lot of people. What, what do you mean? A Stanford MBA named Roy Raymond wants to buy his wife some lingerie, but he's too embarrassed to shop for it in a department store. Comes up with an idea for a high-end place that doesn't make you feel like a pervert. He gets a $40,000 bank loan, borrows another $40,000 from his in-laws, opens a store and calls it Victoria's Secret. Makes a half million dollars his first year. Starts a catalog, opens three more stores, and after five years, he sells the company to Leslie Wexner and The Limited for $4 million. Happy ending, right? Except two years later, the company's worth $500 million, and Roy Raymond jumps off the Golden Gate Bridge. Poor guy just wanted to buy his wife a pair of thigh highs, you know? Was that a parable? My date's a Victoria's Secret model. That's why she looks familiar to you. Don't be impressed by all this. I read your blog. Oh, oh, you know, no, that was for web creeps. You know why I started Napster? The girl I loved in high school was with the co-captain of the varsity lacrosse team, and I wanted to take her from him. So I decided to come up with the next big thing. I didn't know that. Napster wasn't a failure. I changed the music industry for better and for always. It may not have been good business, but it pissed a lot of people off. And isn't that what your face mash was about? They're scared of me, pal, and they're gonna be scared of you. What the VCs wanted to say, good idea, kid. Grown-ups will take it from here, but not this time. This is our time. This time, you're gonna, you're gonna hand them a business card that says, I'm CEO, bitch. That's what I want for you. So where the hell is Eduardo? He's in New York. Sucking up to ad execs. He's got an, an internship. Company's here. A 
uses the story of Roy Raymond, the creator and founder of Victoria's Secret, and then tying that in with his own yeah. girl, the lacrosse girl or whatever, and it, he, he just constructs this whole I narrative. Know. It's a subtle manipulation. Is that a parable? <laughs> I enjoy that part. I know. So, I love this whole scene, though. I, I looked think... into it. Yeah. And I think Sorkin did this on purpose, too. I don't think Sorkin's intentionally misleading us about Roy Raymond and Victoria's Secret. But he's having the character of Sean Parker tell us this story that fits with what he wants Zuckerberg to believe. Because essentially what he tells him is kind of true. I think some of the the figures are a little off or whatever in the years or whatever. But his story is basically true. This guy creates this store for women's lingerie, sells it. It later goes on to be worth way more. Guy commits suicide. Yeah. All of those things are kind of true about this story, except that it leaves out a lot of the other stuff. Which I think is on purpose, because right. I think the idea is that Sean is molding a story to fit what he wants yes. Mark to believe. Right. In real life, I think Roy Raymond, Victoria's Secret was starting to fail, and so he cashed out, essentially. Because he'd already resisted selling it to this other thing before, but then it was sort of like, alright, well, I'm losing control of it, I can't handle it, it's starting to lose money. Mm-hmm. He sells it. Doesn't kill himself for like another decade after several other business failures and different ventures okay. and things. And the wife that he created Victoria's Secret for, they got divorced. You know, it was the yeah, whole yeah. thing. There's a lot of A factors. bad run. Yeah. <laughs> a bad run of luck. But Sean's big idea is, I'm going to get you onto two continents, which is what finally leads to the Winklevi and Narendra going to the legal system for help. Uh-huh. But I think the word that we haven't used yet, the perfect word, is opportunist. Oh, yeah. That's what the Sean Parker of this movie is. Definitely. He's an opportunist. But he is everything that Eduardo thinks he is, too. He is paranoid and delusional and weird, and he's got these his <laughs> that own- That is like a funny angle to it, that all of that is going on. He's got like this- My phone's been tapped. Personal beef with a guy at Case Equity, so he makes Mark live out these personal vendettas <laughs> and bullshit. And Mark does come off as such a goof, and if I was Mark Zuckerberg in real life, this is probably the part that I would get- most annoyed by if it wasn't true. I don't know if it is or not, but I would think this makes me look like some douchebag's puppet. Right. I'm just willing to do anything this guy says <laughs> for no reason. Except it all works. Then they end up getting this huge investment. Yeah, but I think they would have got that anyway. Well, sure. They yeah. don't get it from the guy that right. said yeah. go fuck himself or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Although they do play it that way in the movie. Supposedly, Mark and Sean pulled some stunt and he was so impressed that I'm like, oh, I'm glad he was impressed by that. Yeah, but they didn't do it to Peter Thiel. 
they were yeah. doing it to that specific guy. What was his name? Manningham. Manningham, yeah. yeah. But they got but I, the offer from Thiel, though. Well, the initial one's from Thiel, but I thought they'd get... The one that Eduardo gets cut off of is the secondary investment. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I, did, I If that was the same guy, I missed it. While competing in the 2004 Henley Royal Regatta for Harvard against the Hollandia Roy Club... The Winklevoss twins discover that Facebook has expanded to Europe with Oxford, Cambridge, and London School of Economics. And so, along with Divya Narendra, decide to sue the company for intellectual property theft. Meanwhile, Eduardo finally shows up in California and does not like what he finds. Facebook headquarters is a total party house, and Sean has expanded his influence over Mark. And throughout Facebook, there are two distinct sides now, and the phrase get left behind escapes Mark's lips and causes Eduardo to become even more paranoid. His biggest objection is to Sean making business decisions for Facebook. And so Eduardo freezes the company's bank account. Eduardo's relationship with Christy also implodes. She makes reference to the Silicon Valley sluts, which I believe was a softball team I played for. Oh, yeah. During the summer of How about that? 2007. How'd you guys do? <laughs> Why does your status say single on your Facebook page? What? Why does your relationship status say single on your Facebook page? I was single when I set up the page. And you just never bothered to change it? I... What? I don't know how. Do I look stupid to you? No, calm down. You're asking me to believe that the CFO of Facebook doesn't know how to change his relationship status on Facebook? It's a little embarrassing, so you should take it as a sign of trust that I would tell you that. Go to hell. Take it easy. No, you didn't change it so you could screw those Silicon Valley sluts every time you got to see Mark. not even remotely true, and I can promise you that the Silicon Valley sluts don't care what anyone's relationship status is on Facebook. Please, open your present. Your phone does work. It's Mark. Uh, I'll open your present. It's a silk scarf. Have you ever seen me wear a scarf? This will be your first. Yeah. You froze our account? I did. You froze the account? I had to get your attention, Mark. Do you realize that you jeopardized the entire company? Do you realize that your actions could have permanently destroyed everything I've been working on? We have been working on. Without money, the site can't function. Okay, let me tell you the difference between Facebook and everybody else. We don't crash ever. If the servers are down for even a day, our entire reputation is irreversibly destroyed. Look, users I, I are under- fickle. Friendster has proved that. Even a few people leaving would reverberate through the entire user base. The users are interconnected. That is the whole point. College kids are online because their friends are online. And if one domino goes, the other dominoes go. Don't you get that? I am not going back to the Caribbean night at AEP. Holy shit! What is wrong with you? Did you like being nobody? Did you like being a joke? Do you want to go back to that? Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on! That was the act of a child, not a businessman, and it certainly was not the act of a friend. You know how embarrassing it was for me to try to cash a check today? I'm not going back to that life. Maybe you were frustrated. Yeah! Maybe you were angry. I was! But I am willing to let bygones be bygones because... Margo, I've got some good news. I'm sorry. I was angry, and maybe it was childish, but I had to get your attention. Wardo, I said I got some good news. What is it? Peter Thiel just made an angel investment of half a million dollars. What? Half a million dollars. And he's setting us up in an office. They want to reincorporate the company. They want to meet you. They need your signature on some documents, so you got to get your ass on the first flight back to San Francisco. I need my CFO. I'm on my way. Ardo. Yeah? We did it.
Ordo? Ha! You're going back there already? Yes. And also, I'm breaking up with you. Yeah, I really wasn't originally going to include that clip of them breaking up, but I found that that scene to be very funny. Yeah. With a lot of great lines, which is the whole movie, really. Right. It's packed with great lines, but yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Uh, it's uh, I think another thing invented for the purposes of this film is this relationship between Eduardo these two. just having this like, intense girlfriend yeah. <laughs> who he's like, afraid of. 47 texts. Yeah. yeah, and I thought that was completely normal. <laughs> Eduardo relents when Mark reveals that they have secured 500000 from angel investor Peter Thiel, who many of you may know as the <laughs> backer of Hulk Hogan's lawsuit against Gawker. How about that? Taking them down. I didn't know that. It was a personal vendetta against the, <laughs> the guy who ran Gawker. Because I think they outed him as gay or something on their website. Oh, wow. I don't okay. know. Some, some personal thing over that or whatever. So he funds Hulk Hogan's lawsuits to take them down. <laughs> and the weird part about the Gawker connection is that in addition to Peter Thiel taking Gawker down, Ben Mesrick's treatment for the accidental billionaires leaked on Gawker before the book was even written and before this movie came to be and that's sort of how it generated initial interest i think in hollywood oh wow okay was that it leaked on gawker so there's like a weird little connection there so then eduardo breaks up with christy and heads back to california but the good news aspect is only temporary it sort of happens condensed down in the movie but i'm this all seems to take place over a couple of months Eduardo becomes enraged when he discovers that the new investment deal allows his share of Facebook to be diluted from 34% to 0.03% yeah. while maintaining the ownership percentage for all of the other parties. This definitely is the most powerful sequence in the movie, I'd say. He confronts Mark and Sean and then vows to sue Mark before being ejected from the building. Eduardo's name is removed from the masthead as co-founder and CFO. Now, one thing that I never really thought about until this viewing is the fact that Mark knows that we're heading this way, but never tries to have a conversation with Eduardo. Never tries to have a conversation with him about what yeah. what's going on. You'd think that he'd at least put it to him bluntly, like, you're going to be forced out if you don't do it this way. Yeah. And start doing what we want you to do. Like, never has a confrontational discussion with him about it. He just kind of acts like they're going along. And then has him come back out to sign this document that's like, you're out. Like, that is cold. That part. Yeah. And, of course, this all happens to coincide with the achievement of one million users on Facebook. There's this sudden burst of emotion in a movie that, aside from a couple of minor Winklevoss outbursts, has been fairly controlled to yeah. this point. And now we're seeing that rage oh, yeah. play Slamming out. A and, yeah, you're right. There is sort of this stabbed in the back vibe that is much more Shakespearean, perhaps, than you would expect from two people who yeah. were supposedly friends, because there's really no reason. To do it this way, Mark is always going to have the biggest share of the company, and essentially once you do bring in everyone else, his vote is always going to matter most. So as far as the direction and all of that stuff, Eduardo 
probably wouldn't have been able to actually do that much. And if they wanted to replace him as CFO in a more natural way, that could have happened over time. But it seems like they just wanted to get it over with and get him out and basically replace him with Sean. At least that's how the movie makes it seem. They don't really say that, but that's kind of how they're playing it. Yeah. What else did the email say? It said that we had to have a business meeting. That Mark and Sean had played some kind of revenge stunt on Case Equity. And that Manningham was so impressed that he was now making an investment offer that was hard to turn down. So I went to California, and I went straight to the new offices. I didn't know whether to dress for the party or for the business meeting, so I kind of dressed for both. But it didn't matter. Why not? Because I wasn't called out there for either one. What were you called out there for? An ambush. Mr. Sabra. I thought he was joking, giving me more contracts to sign. But then I started reading. Wait, what is this? Well, uh, as you know, we had some new investors that have come What in. is this? Mark! Mark! He's wired in. Sorry? He's wired in. Is he? Yes. How about now? You're still wired in? Full security. You issued 24 million new shares of stock. You were told that if new investors came How much along... were your shares diluted? How much were his? What was Mr. Zuckerberg's ownership share diluted down to? It wasn't. What was Mr. Moskowitz's ownership share diluted down to? It wasn't. What was Sean Parker's ownership share diluted down to? It wasn't. What was Peter Thiel's ownership share diluted down to? It wasn't. And what was your ownership share diluted down to? 0.03%. You signed the papers. You set me up. You're gonna blame me because you were the business head of the company and you made a bad business deal with your own company. This is gonna be like I'm not a part of Facebook. It won't be like you're not a part of Facebook. You're not a part of Facebook. My name's on the masthead. You might want to check again. It's because I froze the account? You think we were gonna let you parade around in your ridiculous suits pretending you were running this company? Sorry! My Prada's at the cleaners! Along with my hoodie and my fuck you flip-flops, you pretentious douchebag! Security's here. You'll be leaving now? I'm not signing those papers. We will get the signature. Tell me this isn't about me getting into the Phoenix. You... you did it. I knew you did it. You planted that story about the chicken. I didn't plant the story about the chicken. What's he talking about? You had me accused of animal cruelty. Seriously, what the hell's the chicken? And I'll bet what you hated the most is that they identified me as a co-founder of Facebook, which I am. You better lawyer up, asshole, because I'm not coming back for 30%. I'm coming back for everything. It's okay, I'm going. Hang on. I just forgot. Here's your $19,000. I wouldn't cash it, though. I drew it on the account you froze. 
I like sitting next to you, Sean. It makes me look so tough. That's our show for tonight, people. It's a tough beat for Sean, who tries to portray himself as the coolest guy in the world, and then he slinks away as Eduardo pretends like he's going to punch him. And I know. Really hard to regain your cool after that. Definitely, though, why I keep wanting to credit Timberlake for this performance, because it's really a range. Yeah. You see this dude who plays the cool guy well, but then you get that it's a bit of an affront. Yeah. Later that night at the party celebrating one million users, Sean is apprehended for cocaine possession. He attempts to blame Eduardo. <laughs> I mean, this part's pretty pathetic. And then Mark cuts ties with him, telling him to go home. Yeah, it's it's convenient that this all happens basically in one night. He yeah, has the yeah. explosion with Eduardo, one million users. Sean is arrested. Everything sort of is severed and starts over. There's our movie. Initially, when they were filming, they were aiming for R, and then they realized pretty quickly they could get this down to be PG-13 with a few simple edits. But the cocaine scene had to be very carefully edited because depiction of sexualized drug use is pretty much a guarantee for R rating. So no shot could show the girl's body and the drugs at the same time. Gotcha. Something like that. It had to all be carefully done i think one of the other things they changed was when mark gets that note in class that says you dick i think it said something else Uh, i don't know gotcha because they do have two fucks in the movie yeah said in short order so that's pushing it (laughs) i think usually you can get one how much of a heart sinking moment is it for sean parker what you know the cops come in and they start realizing that everybody's underage except for him (laughs) like oh god the dude in that scene is Caleb Landry Jones or whatever his oh, name is. Oh, wow. Okay, the, I didn't recognize him. from yeah. Get Out and some other stuff. As we already know, thanks to jumping around the timeline, there are two separate depositions going on involving Mark and Facebook. The Winklevi and Narendra claim that Mark stole her idea, while Eduardo claims his shares of Facebook were unfairly diluted when the company was incorporated. Marilyn Delpy played by Rashida Jones, a junior lawyer for the defense, informs Mark that they will be settling with Eduardo since the sordid details of Facebook's founding, as well as Mark's callous attitude, will make him unsympathetic to any jury. By the way, not like the best way for him to find out. Not even hearing from like his main lawyer. No, I think that was intentional. They're like, well, let's have the pretty lady tell him (laughs) we'll go to dinner. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She's just being real with him, and then she lays it all out in a way that is very cinematic and a little bit too cutesy but she basically explains it for anyone maybe in the audience who wasn't quite grasping what they were going for with the zuckerberg depiction which is you're not really an asshole you're just trying so hard to be in other words that's like his defense mechanism he's still the sad lonely boy who got broken up with by erica albright we're done for the day yeah yeah i was just sitting here What happened to Sean? He still owns 7% of the company. All you had all day was that salad. You want to get something to eat? I can't. 
I'm not a bad guy. I know that. When there's emotional testimony, I assume 85% of it is exaggeration. And the other 15? Perjury. Creation myths need a devil. What happens now? Sai and the others are having a stake on University Avenue. Then they'll come back up to the office and start working on a settlement agreement to present to you. They're gonna settle? Oh yeah. And you're gonna have to pay a little extra. Why? So that these guys sign a non-disclosure agreement. They say one unflattering word about you in public, you own their wife and kids. I invented Facebook. I'm talking about a jury. I specialize in voir dire, jury selection. What a jury sees when they look at a defendant. Clothes, hair, speaking style, likability. Likability. I've been licensed to practice law for all of 20 months, and I could get a jury to believe that you planted the story about Eduardo and the chicken. Watch what else. Why weren't you at Sean's sorority party that night? You think I'm the one that called the police? Doesn't matter. I asked the question, now everybody's thinking about it. You've lost your jury in the first 10 minutes. Farm animals. Yeah. I was drunk and angry and stupid. And blogging. And blogging. Pay them. In the scheme of things, it's a speeding ticket. That's what Sai will tell you tomorrow. Do you think anybody would mind if I stayed and used the computer for a minute? I can't imagine it would be a problem. Thanks. I appreciate your help today. You're not an asshole, Mark. You're just trying so hard to be. Alone, Zuckerberg sends a Facebook friend request to Erica and repeatedly refreshes the page in one of the most perfect endings in all of film history. Definitely. And I will stand by that. Oh, yeah. That's such a brilliant way to finish this story. Yeah. Now, is that a brilliant way to finish the story of Mark Zuckerberg? No, because Eric Albright isn't real. But <laughs> Yeah, but the movie. The characters right. of this movie, it's such a brilliant way to close that loop. Yeah. Whereas now, Facebook is so huge that this girl that he called a bitch on the internet has joined his company, his page, his, I don't know, website. Notice that she never friended him. No. And at that point... Even if you were sort of out of it, I think someone coming from Boston in those social circles, I think, sure. should be aware that this is what he was working on. Like, yeah, yeah. Maybe not everyone out there in America knew that Mark Zuckerberg was the name behind Facebook right. yet, but she would know. Yeah. So she knows, and she doesn't even care. In a weird way, that's almost like insulting, though. I know. Her life has moved on. Like, if he searched her name on Facebook and she didn't come up, if I was him, I'd be like, yeah, I'm still in her head. Yeah. (laughs) Because she would otherwise be on. But the fact that she's on, it just means like, oh, I guess she's over it. (laughs) I saw some pieces out there that were comparing this movie, or calling this movie like a modern-day Citizen Kane because of the ending and everything, and just like this... Yeah. You know, it's lonely at the top type thing. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I, I was I was digging that. I definitely see that. I just want to go back to the naivete of someone <laughs> being so offended that being called a bitch on the internet. It's like, honey, yeah. just give it a few years. <laughs> That'll be tame. You just didn't realize how vicious people really were because no one interacting with you, or, or very seldomly people really interacting with you, would ever say the things that people are willing to say on the internet. 
Yeah, and it took a while too for yeah. people to realize that there was no consequences. Like right. it, it's not like the first day of the internet, everyone was like, "Fuck everyone," using racial <laughs> slurs and doing whatever horrible, insane shit people do. It took a little a minute to be like, "Yeah, no one's gonna know this is me. I can do whatever I want." Yeah, <laughs> and then we saw how horrible everyone really was deep down. Right. <laughs> Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss received a settlement of $65 million and signed a non-disclosure agreement. They rode for the U.S. Olympic team in Beijing and placed sixth. So these are words that come up on the screen at the end of the film. Did you feel like that was a shot? I was thinking it would be better. (laughs) Well, it seems like unless you win gold, silver, or bronze, I'm not really sure why it's worth even mentioning, but... Why wouldn't it just say that they participated in the Olympics? I don't know. Yeah. Eduardo Saverin received an unknown settlement. His name has been restored to the Facebook masthead as co-founder. Facebook has 500 million members in 207 countries. It is currently valued at $25 billion. Mark Zuckerberg is the youngest billionaire in the world, obviously. Most of that information is out of date, including him being the youngest billionaire in the world. He has since turned Facebook into a company called Meta, which I don't understand what that means or what it is. Because as I said, I haven't been on Facebook in about a decade. Whatever's going on with it or whatever Meta is, I honestly have no idea. And neither does Matt. No. (laughs) (laughs) Not surprisingly, neither does Matt. I assume Facebook is still exactly the same, except updated and new. It's still called Facebook.com. I don't really understand what Meta is, other than it kind of you know cratered their stock for a while. Saverin, it's rumored that his settlement was actually somewhere in the neighborhood of $5 billion Wow! in cash and stock. He still has a sizable stake in the company and has come under fire for renouncing his U.S. citizenship in order to avoid taxes. <laughs> That's the thing you kind of learn about all of the people in this film in real life are terrible. Divya Narendra... He's not mentioned in that final statement. I always thought that was weird. But he, I, I believe, was a part of the $65 million yeah. settlement. That just seems like that would maybe be a great oversight. I, kind of hilarious that he's sitting in the deposition and then they're just like, oh, yeah, you don't get any money? <laughs> the money that they were given in terms of the stock portion of the company in a few years after the settlement, when the company did their initial IPO, it was worth $100 million. So the, the settlement was actually even more than $65 million. Everything they got ended up being worth more and more and more of as time went on. Yeah. Of course. It's sort of fun to go back in time and look at Facebook in 2010 having 500 million members and being valued at $25 billion because now it's valued at over $240 billion with 2.96 billion huh. monthly users. So there was still growth to be had, I guess. Yeah. And that's why I think people have really come back to this film, because not only was it considered one of the best films of the decade, but I think that your relationship with it evolves over time, because our relationship with Mark Zuckerberg has evolved over time. Definitely. And with Facebook has evolved over time, and our understanding of what it is and what it can be, and the influence that it's had on our country and the world. Since its release, the social network has been cited as inspiring involvement in startups and social media. There is like an excitement to the movie. When they're going through this whole process of starting something up, it is sort of inspiring. Yeah, even after seeing the movie, Zuckerberg himself was saying 
he was interested to see what effect the social network has on entrepreneurship, noting that he gets lots of messages from people who claim that they have been very much inspired to start their own company. And Saverin echoed these sentiments, stating that the film may inspire countless others to create and take that leap to start a new business. In addition to that, because of all of the controversies and various things that have surrounded Facebook and Zuckerberg over the last 13 years since this movie came out, the talk of a sequel has been around for a while. In January 2019, Sorkin revealed that Rudin has suggested the development of a screenplay for a sequel, noting a lot of very interesting dramatic stuff has happened since the movie ends. Sorkin also mentioned that there was indeed enough material to create a sequel. Wow. In July of the same year, Eisenberg expressed his interest in starring in the proposed sequel, stating that Sorkin is a genius, and if he chooses to write about something, I'll obviously be interested. In October of 2020, a decade after the film's release, Sorkin announced that he would only write the sequel's script if David Fincher returned as director. Could I see that happening? I could. Will it happen? Probably not. It's one of those things that the more time that passes, the less likely it feels. (laughs) What we will probably get is something akin to the Girl with a Dragon Tattoo sequel, which will be a completely different writer, a completely different director. Completely different cast. Yeah, and not be good at all. I guess what I would say is that since we last did this episode, or this film, I've come to appreciate the film even more, I think, and differently than I did in 2017. I think by 2017, that was seven years after the film came out, I had sort of dialed back my enthusiasm for the film not a lot not like oh this is a b instead of an a but just sort of like okay yeah this is this is like upper tier fincher but not as good as a lot of the other people say because everyone was kind of putting this right up there as like best of the decade kind of stuff okay and i think that i've i don't know that i would say it's one of the best of the decade or anything like that my opinions of things are they need to movies need to be a little more fucked up but (laughs) (laughs) but I don't know. I don't want to put it like it's as far as ranking it or anything, but I would say that it definitely has improved even more over these, what, how many years is that? Six years since we last talked yeah. about it. <laughs> I don't know. I It was definitely my favorite movie of 2010. And see, I had Inception number one that year. Yeah. Well, Inception was a big one too. It was a big year. Now, on our Killer Cinema podcast, who had Black Swan number one? Was that Brian or was that you? I can't remember. I feel like I'm pulling out receipts from 2010 podcasts that no one can find. (laughs) I don't know. I swear that this was the one, or maybe I was just so invested in this winning best picture. But Well, it was definitely the favorite for a while, and as it happens a lot during those award seasons, it changes. And then for whatever reason, there's like momentum, which I never really understand. I did buy Inception, but I owned very few Blu-rays or whatever at this point, and Social Network was one of them. So that'll do it for our first revisited of the year. I think we really got way deeper into it this time around. Yeah. I would imagine. But in addition to us discussing the social network, I think it's time to get into our other segments. This week, we're going to skip recommendations just to keep it a little bit shorter, but we are still going to do a little bit of mailbag. All right. Everyone's favorite. All right. All right. All right, you go ahead. You go ahead. You keep it secret. But you remember this. When you control the mail, you control information. This week's email comes from Luke. He writes, 
Hey guys, love the show. You guys wanted some cues. Number one, any chance of having guests on the show? We hear a lot of talk about a quote unquote Lindsay, but so far, no podcast proof. <laughs> well, I'm sure she'd love to show up and set the record straight on some things. Maybe the 50th listener request could be from Lindsay, but that implies she listens. Well, I believe she does listen, and she did do a listener request. She does listen, and she does like the show. Which is, High Fidelity. Yeah. That was the listener request. Right. Which I always secretly believed was really you, but... It wasn't, but I do think that she picked one that she knew we liked. Okay. Fair enough. Well, I did have someone that I thought would be a fun guest, but he expressed zero interest in returning to being behind the mic, and yeah. so I don't really know that we're ever going to really have guests. Okay. We're only really set up for two microphones. Lindsay's uh, going to be heartbroken to hear this news. Somehow I I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> I think she'd love to come on and be like, listen, the whole thing about the 10 movies, Matt put that on himself. Oh, is that true? It, there's a little bit more to the story than maybe I revealed. Uh, well, I'm, I've lost interest. I don't want to hear about it anymore. Luke might. Number two, there was a writer's strike in 07, and in spite of that, the golden age of television was born. Do you think something similar might happen with the current writer's strike? Additionally, are writers forever fucked? Well, first of all, for your last question, yes. Writers are completely fucked. Hollywood is so much more fucked than even us doomsday people even say over the last few years. This idea that they're going to replace writers with AI is <laughs> disturbing. And it is a joke from 30 Rock where... Tina Fey has that dream where she sees that Transformers poster, yeah. Planet of the Earth, and it says written, written by, by no, no one. one. Yeah. It's like, well, this is about to be real now. Yeah. This writer's strike is disgusting. They always want to fuck over writers. Disney's the worst at it, but they all do it. It's horrifying. Do I think that this is going to lead to anything? Well, hopefully it leads to a return to independent cinema. People just need to get out there, write their own stuff, make their own stuff, and leave this fucking bullshit behind. But part of it has to be the general public saying, fuck you, to the low-quality Transformers, Marvel, bullshit garbage that they put in theaters all the time and get back to real things like the social network. <laughs> I know. It's hard to picture like, oh, there's going to be some television renaissance. I would say the golden age of television actually started before 2007 with The Sopranos. but Sure, but let's just say, talk about Mad Men and Breaking Bad. Is there any show that can hit like they did? No. It just yeah. doesn't seem like it can happen now. Well, okay, Game well, there's Thrones. a difference there's yeah. a difference between monoculture and quality. Oh, if sure. we're just talking like quality material, sure right. there's yeah. a chance Agreed. anything could happen. I agree with that. Yeah. But I don't have good vibes from this writer's strike. I think it's the information that's basically come out from the people they're striking from is we don't care. Do whatever you want. We're going to not replace you with machines, basically. They don't <laughs> seem to care that there's a writer's strike. Sure. They're not going to give them more money, probably. At least that's the vibe right now. We'll see if that changes. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we we are desperate for some sort of indie movement that breaks the mold. That's what we need. You need to just start working outside of the major studios, because the major studios are mostly run by morons who don't understand anything. And they're definitely not run by artists who care about art. They've sunk so much money into this streaming war, and almost none of it is profitable uh, outside of maybe Netflix. I just don't know that 
how this is sustainable. That's why they don't want to give the writers more money. It's because they've already flushed so much money down the toilet in this stupid streaming war. Everything they do is baffling. They release right. movies on a streaming like one week after they come out sometimes, and you're like, what? how can you then say, oh, we don't understand why the theater business is dying? <laughs> Everything is horrible. Mm-hmm. Number three, and finally, do you believe the Minnesota Timberwolves have ruined their chances at winning an NBA championship for the foreseeable future by trading five first-round picks and Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, and Patrick Beverly? I do. The foreseeable future? Have the Minnesota Timberwolves ever won the NBA championship? <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, I was going to say. I don't really know anything about the NBA. Keep I don't it think consistent. So. Not in my memory. We'll say that. I guess maybe. All those Garnett years. Luke would have to tell us if the Timberwolves have ever won. But I, I would say I've heard of two of those three players only through podcasts that yeah. talk about NBA because we live in a city that doesn't have an NBA team. I don't so know. I, I mean, really was into it. I think the be successful in the NBA, you have to have one of the best players. Who are you, Bill Simmons right now? <laughs> no, I don't. Does he say that? No, I just meant because you had a take oh. about basketball. <laughs> when you look at the team that wins the title in the NBA almost every year. Well, Matt, yeah, I, I don't know that you're breaking any new ground here. I think, yeah, I think you so need that's to have a I'm really s- good player. Yeah. Well, don't the Timberwolves have one or no? Well, it sounds like they're trading them away. No, it can't be any of those guys. No. Keep up the great work, guys. I'll hang up and listen. Thanks, Luke. Well, thank you for the email, Luke. If you yourself would like to email the show, and we would always like to receive more, please email us, greatestpod at gmail.com. We're working our way through them right now. So yeah, if you've sent one in already, we'll get to it. We would like to have more, greatestpod at gmail.com. You can ask us anything, anything at all. Questions, comments, concerns, if you want to negotiate listener requests, we'll take them there. They do cost a little bit of money. If you have a sticker request, that is free. You just have to give us a mailing address, and we'll send that to you. Nice to hear from you, though, Luke. Long-time listener there. Yeah, it's always good to hear from everyone. So even long-time listeners who have interacted with me on Twitter or other places or done a sticker request or done listener requests in the past or whatever, please reach out on email because we'd like to incorporate more of that just really is fun to engage i guess yeah i think so it adds a different dimension because i think <laughs> when we did the social network the first time around i don't know how many people were listening so it's a whole different vibe certainly less less some than people now. out there yeah <laughs> anyway find us on twitter at greatest pod and find us on letterboxd zach1983 and matt crosby now i know we're up against it and i've already done the plugs which i didn't do at the beginning to try to speed through this a little quicker but okay (laughs) so far not successful work should we do physical media spotlight real fast at the end here do you have anything or do you just want me to do it well i got one okay good i guess we'll do it we're trying to get this off the ground i wanted to keep this ending a little tighter but you know what fuck it let's just do it She's never seen a single Paul Walker movie? That's a huge oh-no-no. She also doesn't care about Blu-ray. She's a monster. Physical media spotlight is important because, as I said, the streaming wars is going to lead to 
the collapse of several of these companies probably and we're going to be really fucked in a few years yeah we're enjoy all the choices you have now because it's like y2k right now we're filling up our storage closets well i don't know that it'll be that bad but there'll there'll definitely only be like two or three options probably in a couple years rather than all of these companies it's just it doesn't seem feasible all right i'm gonna do a release that i already have and a release that i have pre-ordered so i've Cut it down to two this week. Triangle of Sadness, Criterion, oh. 4K, A Dish. This is a movie that we talked about a little bit when we did our best of 2022. If you haven't seen it yet and you're into physical media, I would recommend picking it up because for the foreseeable future, it seems like stories like The White Lotus, like Triangle of Sadness, like The Menu, that's a lot of what we're going to get. And at least with Triangle of Sadness, you get a lot of unpredictability, and it takes it in a very interesting, crazy direction. And it's a movie that I think will stick with you for a while, and you'll think about, and you'll kind of appreciate each part of it as its own little thing, because it's kind of like three different Definitely. sections, which we talked about a little bit. So that's cool that yeah, it got a that. physical release, and it got a 4K. A lot of our favorite films from last year, it's like up in the air whether or not they'll ever be on physical media, right. like Barbarian or whatever. So... It's cool that Neon has a little deal going with Criterion and that some of the stuff's going to get the chance to have a, a physical copy. And then my pre-order is the Toxic Avenger Collection 8-disc Tox set. Get it? Oh, wow. Instead of box set. <laughs> 4K from Troma. This comes out at the end of August. I've already got it pre-ordered. What are your thoughts on the Toxic Avenger franchise? I enjoy it. I haven't watched any of that stuff in probably 12 years. Now, this has... I don't know how many Toxic Avenger movies there are. This has yeah. the first four. I don't know if there's more than that. I don't know. I had a little era of my life where I was doing a bunch of the trauma films, and it's a fun time to get Most into of them are pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. They'll have something funny, or they'll have, like, boobs or something, right. and you know. But yeah, the Toxic Avenger movie, the first one, I, I would catch parts of it on USA Network when I was young and i just remember it being like upsetting it's just like disturbing like the stuff that happens in it it's just like gross right and now that like once i got older it became like funny and weird and you know but yeah i don't know that trauma has released quality physical copies of a lot of their library so i can't imagine the 4k is making it look (laughs) that much more sleek well i think even getting like a good blu-ray collection for a lot of trauma stuff is hard to do so like toxic avenger is sort of like their biggest thing maybe so it's getting the 4k treatment if you're familiar at all you should jump on that i think okay so one of the fun things about physical media too is i order all this shit and then months and months go by and i forget about it and then it just shows up yeah this happened the other day and i got the um something we did on the show recently on blu-ray 1989 teenage mutant ninja turtles nice the Stinko version. Or the, I have that pre-ordered, but I haven't version. got it shipped yet because yeah. I got it with something that isn't out yet. Gotcha. So that showed up the other day. Yeah, now in Stinko vision. Which it has, like, what, scratch and sniff stickers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever. It looks cool. It's got, like, a cool sleeve. Yeah, when we started working on the episode and I ordered it on Vudu, so I got, like, a digital copy, I realized while watching it, I was like, I need to own... A physical copy of this because yeah. I do like it. And I love Judith Hogue so uh-huh, much. Right. 
I remembered that there was that pre-order out for that. So when I was doing like a bigger order with a bunch of other stuff, I threw that in. I was like, yeah, I got to get it. So yeah, I'll get that one day too. Sweet. Is there like a slip cover? Is it like a box? Like what is it? It's a slip cover and the rest of the little scratch and sniff stickers or whatever must be like in the, the wrap case. because I haven't yeah. opened it yet. Okay. I think it's like an Australian thing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Umbrella entertainment. Yeah. yeah. All right, folks. I think that'll do it. I'm not going to run through all the housekeeping stuff. I did it right before the physical media segment. So yeah. next week, we're going to be back with listener requests. We still got a couple more to get through in May. We'll talk more about the availability or whatnot next week. But needless to say, we are basically in September right now, and we have a, a pretty big maybe for September. So if you're at all interested in getting one in in 2022, you got to act now because we're running out of slots. But we'll get more into that next week. Thank you so much for listening. This one guy, so I don't want to say who it is. I won't say his name, but he's a writer. He, he was a comic at the comedy store. Uh-huh. And uh, just a guy, you know, not really a writer. He never says anything in the room. He's there for like two years, and finally he goes, I got an idea. And everybody's like, you do, David? Well, his first name is David. <laughs> so he goes, he goes, yeah. He goes, what would happen, what, what would happen if Dan came home 
and Roseanne was washing her big ass in the sink. <laughs> that sounds funny. <laughs> that sounds very funny. So uh, everybody's like, yeah, you know what I'm gonna be. And he goes, uh, he goes, yeah, but he says, the thing is, it turns out it ain't Roseanne, it's Roseanne's twin sister. Oh. And then, so they say, well, Roseanne already, you know, we already have Jackie. He goes, who Jackie? <laughs> He's been on the show for two years. <laughs> who Jackie?